Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ranting Atheist Podcast. Today we'll be listening to a recording of uh, another clubhouse room. This was hosted by Jide Jide Onadigun on biological evolution, fact or fiction. Obviously, me I'm Olodo on this matter, but I was a co-moderator along with Curious John, and it was it was a it was a good learning experience, and I hope. Uh, you're able to learn a little on biological evolution as well. This is a very long one. This is the full recording of the house of the full. This was when I came in. I came in a little late. So this is where I'll start off from where I started recording. But it's, it's over three hours. So God help us. So please subscribe Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Then if you are not on Clubhouse, Clubhouse is now on Android. So Android users can also use Clubhouse without invitation so download it from your play store and create an account then join the free thinkers hangout this is where we usually host all these uh, discussions that we have we try to make it every week so check out the free thinkers hangout on clubhouse join us listen in if you cannot talk talk if you can contribute and let us uh, let's let's rub minds so now let's go on and listen to the recording of the club our discussion we had uh, a week or two ago yeah please enjoy um mendelian genetics or you know um darwinian evolution or you know some anatomical study at even at basic level you get so at least you understand the basics of how the human anatomy is or you know basically any other biological system even if it's plants so if you're a botanist you're a zoologist you're a biochemist you're a um um what's what's that i mean whatever you are a marine scientist um a geologist um and by these names i mean someone who studied all these things in school and who believes that they have ample knowledge about it then that that might give you an edge with me personally i don't know if the same will be true for all the other moderators. So that might give you an edge and, you know, just so that we can have a good conversation about that. So let me just spend a little bit of time to lay out why exactly I'm sharing this discussion and my own history um, into biological evolution and all that. Uh, please, moderators, just flash your mic so that I will know that everyone can hear me. Okay, all right, good, all right, cool, thanks. Um, so I'll just spend five minutes and then we can go into an open discussion. So like I said, send me a message in the back channel if you have a question or if you have a discussion, you want to debate something, just put it up so that we can have time like that. Now, um, I grew up in a Christian family, more or less Pentecostal, Pentecostal I should say. And um, I schooled in, I had three secondary schools. I went to. Um, funnily enough, one of them was a Catholic school. One of them was a Muslim school, which was the one I spent the most time in. And one of them was a Pentecostal school, <laughs> which is kind of funny, you know. So um, it was in the Muslim school, actually, that I first learned about um, evolution. That was the first time I heard terms like homo habilis, homo erectus, and stuff like that. Now, as a teenager then, I mean, I heard those things, but I never really paid any good attention to them because nobody around me did. It was just something that you learned in class and everybody just moved on with life. Um, 
So that was the first time I learned those terms. I must have been, I don't know, maybe 11, 10, 11 years old or so at the time when I learned those words for the very first time. So I remember vividly learning about Homo habilis and Homo erectus. And, you know, the prevailing idea then was just uh, these are things that, you know, people just say they're not really real things. You know, we know that God created us in his image from the dust of the ground, created women from the rib and all those things, you know, the creation stories of the Abrahamic religions. So going forward in school, I got very enamored um, of genetics. I really liked genetics. Genetics was one of my best aspects of school, especially Mendelian genetics. You know, I liked the whole experiment with pea plants, you know, how we was able to come about the laws of segregation, the laws of independent assortment and all those things like that. So I got fascinated by that. And then when I was in school, like 100 level, my dad bought me three textbooks, physics, chemistry, biology. Um, I've misplaced all of them <laughs> already now. But I remember that from that biology textbook then, I read about evolution again. And one of the statements I remember from that particular textbook was that they, because they, they spoke briefly about all the competing ideas, you know, panspermia, which is the idea that um, life came from rocks outside Earth. And then they highlighted the creation story of Christianity as well. That, you know, the Bible says the world was created 6,000 years ago, which was what I believed. And then the book went on to say but, that, but at that time, at that 6,000 years ago, we have strong evidence of huge civilizations in the Middle East already existing. And that was the first time I ever encountered any counter evidence to what I had thought as a Christian. So fast forward to around 2017 or so, um, I mean 2016, there about, you, uh, everybody knows TEDx, TEDx, all those things. I began to watch them on Twitter, I got very, uh, on YouTube, I, I beg your pardon. I got very interested in them. And, um, you know, one thing led to the other. I began to watch videos on evolution and all that. I remember a particular series I watched on YouTube, which is anybody who follows It's Okay to Be Smart. That's the name of the channel. It's hosted by Dr. Joel Hansen, who is a um, PhD molecular biologist. So he talks about evolution. He talks about all sorts of things, science in general. But his series on evolution really struck me because they were very simple. They were very concise. And they were very well evidenced. Like these were things that I knew from biology class already. So it wasn't like someone had to convince me about them. So as I said that, I began to, I mean, I watched from one video to the other, one video to the other. I began to process the evidence for evolution myself because I remember that when I was a little kid, maybe five years old or so, I remember that there was a time, you know, we were taught then that God created us in his image and all that. Uh, five, six, seven, eight years old, around that time. Now, we used to have dogs, we used to have goats, we used to have chickens, we used to have all those things in the house. My mom liked rearing animals. Even till now, she still raises um, chickens and turkeys and stuff like that. So, I noticed that animals used to sneeze, they used to cough, they used to poo, they used to do all those things. And I used to ask myself then as a kid that, how come these animals are doing the exact same things that I do as a human being? If I'm so special, if I'm so created in the image, image of God, how come an animal is sneezing like me? I mean, anybody who rears goats will know that goats always have kata like kata is like one thing they have a lot 
And that really surprised me at the time. But as a little kid, it wasn't something I really gave any serious attention to. It was just something I noticed. So, um, like, okay, if evolution is true, that means there was no Adam and Eve because populations emerge as a whole. They they evolve as a whole, not individual not individuals, not two individuals getting born in the population and then diverging and all that. But if that's true, then there was no Adam and Eve. And then that has implications for Christianity, you know, the atonement and all those things, which if we get to that junction in this discussion, it seems like you're breaking up to the conclusion that, hey, if evolution is true, then Christianity is in serious trouble. And many people have thought that through the ages that Christianity um, is in conflict with evolution. I mean, this is something that I don't I'm just for much. And afterwards, I, I'm just going to go and then I'll let um, John and Ranting Atheist and everyone else just drive the conversation for now. So I can see Big has the blind watchmaker in his... Um, in his DP, I don't know if that's what they call it on Clubhouse. And the Blind Watchmaker is a brilliant book. Like um, I haven't, I, I'm not even through with it. And um, it's it's a brilliant book by Richard Dawkins. Um, anyone who has read it will will see the beauty of of evolution. Oh, my damn it! Are you back? Are you done? <laughs> I'll be right back. Please carry on. I'll be right back. Let me try to sort out my network. I'll be right back. Yeah, I can hear you. You're a bit low. Mm, you're still low a bit. How, how, how about me? Am I am I very audible? Yes. Okay. Uh, you're low. You're, you're lower than usual. Let me just put it that way. Okay. What about now? Yeah, it's better now. It's better. Yeah, it's much better. It's much better now. Yeah. So, shame I talk. I'll be you go talk. I'll go run out. Before Jay don't come. Uh, let's just... Let's just keep conversing till he's back. So, evolution. Hmm. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert, obviously. I did not read anything in biology. The highest I, the last time I had an A in biology was in SS1. From there, it went downhill. F9, F9. So, wrong number. <laughs> but evolution. F9 for you. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the biology teacher don't like me. Okay, can you guys hear me now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I'll just try to see if I can monitor because I'm I'm now on I'm on. I actually have three sources for that. I have MTN, I have Airtel, and I have Spectranet. So I'm currently using Spectranet. If it doesn't work, I may switch to MTN, which seems to be the best. So I don't really know. Let, let's just see how it goes. Okay, so ranting atheist, I heard your comment <laughs> about biology um biology used to be one of my favorite subjects i i hated not okay maybe hated or let me say dreaded we i mean dread and hate tend to go hand in hand but i dreaded math i dreaded i, I dreaded physics for the majority of my um secondary school days because i had a terrible teacher mr adams who was yeah, was diabolical so um, it was when I got into pre-degree before university that I began to understand physics and math better. I still didn't do well in math anyway, but I did much better in physics. 
So, but I've, I've always generally done well in biology. So, um, especially at high school level. So I liked, I, I like biology and I also, um, taught biology for two years, um, after secondary school. So I taught some, uh, YEC candidates and all that. So, uh, of course, I'm not an expert myself because it would be better to have someone who's way well versed in the whole thing, you know, maybe like a professor or someone who has a master's degree or something. But I mean, uh, this is as good as it gets for now until we have maybe a stronger expert come on. So what I'm just going to do is um, if you have, for those who are already on stage, if you have a um, a question or a comment or something you want to lay out, just flash your mic multiple times and then I'll see what we can do. I think we had Big. Big came on first. So Big, do you have something to say? You have two minutes to just give what's more or less an introductory comment. Two minutes. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll be real quick. So this is Big Daddy here again. I greet you all in the name of the Lord. Um, okay, so on evolution or evolution, however you spell it, I, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm far from an expert, right? But I got this, this book and another one. This one is The Blind Watchmaker and the other one is, uh, Chill. Why Evolution is True by Jerry A. Jerry A. Coin. Coin spelled as C-O-Y-N-E. So Jerry a, a, as maybe like one of his initials, right? So Jerry A. Coin, why evolution is true. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it feels like a very unending debate, you know, that has been going on for so long. And, um, you know, there's a way it can be stretched that, you know, it scares me like, I, like, is that the, how do I put it? There, there are, there are certain positions I hear and I'm like, whoa, I, I'm not sure I can, I don't know how I can go with that. Like, you know, we coming from a fish or something, you know, it just feels so wild to be true. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if it's, if, if the evidence leads to, you know, it's being shown to be true, why not? You know, I'm, I'm ready to go with it. There are so many wild things that, you know, we take for granted these days that, if you show them those same things to our ancestors, they would think it's magic, you know, but it's just everyday science, just like this communication we're having right now, this discussion we're having right now. So uh, as, as, as much as I think that, you know, claim is wild, I am open to, you know, the facts and the evidence showing it to either be true or false, you know. And then I keep hearing this thing about the, the singular thing that would solve um, the evolution discussion will be time. You know, they say time, time has, um, evolution. One of the primary elements, uh, is, is time. And it's not, it's not time lasts like within our lifetime, but time, like say, I think it's thousand years or a million years. I'm not sure. But yeah, like I said, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm far from an expert. Uh, I'm here to learn. I don't even know what I'm doing on this stage, but I think my coming on this stage was to show the level of ignorance I do have on this subject matter and my willingness to learn. Never mind the book I have on my PTR. It's I, I, I just got the book recently and I've been 
lazy to read from my phone. I want to get the actual hard copy. I don't know. I just prefer reading that way. So, yeah. Thank you very much. All right. That is cool. Um, I wanted to say that um, the books he mentioned, The Blind Watchmaker, The um, Why Evolution is True. I think I've also read that. Have I, have I read that? I haven't. Okay, no, I have. I have read it. I've read, I've read two books from Jerry Coyne. Um, uh, why evolution is true and then faith versus fact. And in why evolution is true, it leaves out, you know, um, a lot, lots of evidence for evolution and, you know, how exactly we know that evolution is true. So, okay. So the issue of the time thing, right? Uh, I don't, I think, I think it might be, it might be okay if we, do please guys let me know if i'm breaking up anybody anybody can interrupt me anybody on stage just interrupt me and let me know if i'm breaking up if i'm not coming across properly so let me try to do a cursory summary of how exactly the theory of evolution came about that's when i say the theory of evolution i mean darwin's theory of evolution not just the fact of evolution itself because the, the simple truth is this many people before darwin had known in fact, for as far back as roughly 2,500 years, should I, should I say, or maybe, you know, a long time, like a very, very long time before Darwin, people had known that species, like people had the, they had this gut feeling, this idea, so to speak, that change happens over time, that species can change over time. And um, this is something that had been noticed in, you know, plants, in animals under domestication, under domesticated conditions. Um, you know, you have different pedigrees of dogs, for example, different pedigrees of cabbage, different pedigrees of, um, um, which one is it now? I mean, different pedigrees of different fruits and animals that humans have domesticated, different pedigrees of cats, of rabbits, of, you know, all sorts of things, essentially. So people have always wondered, for the people who knew this anyway, who are this inside, they, they had always wondered how exactly does this change happens? And, um, you know, the first star boy of evolution is actually not Darwin. It's, um, Jean Baptiste Lamarck. Lamarck was a, it was a French, um, biologist as well who theorized, he, he gave this idea of the theory of use and disuse. Um, am I still audible? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. All right, cool. So um, Lamarck talked about the theory of use and disuse. I mean, if you know, if you, anybody who did biology in school, secondary school would have heard about that before. So Lamarck's idea was that during the lifetime of an individual, they use some parts of their body more and they use some parts of their body less. So those parts that they use more, those parts that favored them, that they used more, will somehow get passed on to their children. Now, the problem was that um, that theory just didn't really work out well. There, there was a lot of problems with it, you know, especially on the evidence side. So um, many people didn't really accept it that much, even though Darwin later incorporated parts of that theory into his own theory as well. Um, so what happened was, 
I can't remember the exact year. So sorry, I may not be able to give you the, the precise dates and everything. I don't really think they matter now. Um, Darwin, while he was growing up, you know, his dad sent him to the monastery, um, then sent him to, first of all, sent Am I audible now? Yeah, you went out for a while. Well, you are good now. Yeah, crazy. Okay, so Darwin was like I said, he was he was sent to medical school, but he didn't he didn't like the sight of blood, he didn't like the sight of flesh and all those things. So he, I mean, right from while he was a teenager, he liked collecting butterflies, liked collecting beetles, liked collecting animals and stuff like that. So. People sort of knew that this guy likes, you know, animals. He's fascinated by nature. So at the age of 23, he got a, 23 or 22, he got a, um, an invitation to travel the world around, um, with the HMS Beagle, which was like a British Empire sent, um, fleet, you know, to go study the plants and animals of the world, you know, during the colonization period and all that. So they went to um, the region of South America to a place called the Galapagos Islands. Um, now, that, that journey took a very long time. It took about five years. Now, during that five years, Charles Darwin was reading the books of Charles Lyell. Now, Charles Lyell was a geologist. And Charles Lyell was more or less like a mentor to Darwin in a sense. Charles Lyell was one of the people who had argued for a very old age for the earth because the standard belief at that time was that the earth is young you know god created the world 6000 years old 6000 years ago or so like that was the de facto belief at the time but people started to look at rocks decided to look at the evidence and they saw that given what we know about the way rocks form the way sediments form these rocks can't have formed in 6000 years they they had to have been there for like at the, at the very least hundreds of millions of years that was what they calculated that was what they did and that was one of the things that charles lyell documented in his book so charles lyell um gave this account of gradual change gradual deposition of you know sediments which would then compress under heat to form sedimentary rocks so darwin read that and he also had information about how you know archipelagos form you know through volcanic eruptions and then the volcano settles in the ocean and it becomes a new island of some sort and then different plants and animals can colonize that place and develop so when he got to the Galapagos Island, I think there were about five separate islands. He saw all sorts of animals. He saw tortoises. He saw finches, which actually were the main place where he got the idea from, you know, finches. He saw um, cactuses. He saw all sorts of plants and animals there. And he noticed that each island had, you know, different looking animals that looked very well suited for their environment. Now, he knew that these islands were not, they didn't they didn't form 6,000 years ago based on the calculations and all that. They had formed about, you know, for a very, 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 very long time. And he knew that these animals were not there before they colonized. But he also noticed that they were all very different. So, in fact, when he looked at all the finches, he thought they were completely different birds. Thought maybe, oh, maybe this one is a finch, maybe this one is a swallow or something like that. And then he sent them back to the ornithologist in Britain who confirmed from he, for him that all those birds were finches. 
And that was where Darwin began to get the idea that it's very possible that these birds came, they were more or less the same type, and then when they got to the islands, each of them adapted to the conditions in each island, and then they formed completely different species. So this is what, um, and then there was this, there was another book again that Darwin read that gave him this idea. The book was by, I can't remember the name, yes, Thomas Malthus, that's the name of the man. He was also a British, he's a British economist of sorts. So what Thomas Malthus documented in his own book is that Thomas Malthus notices, he noticed that population growth is exponential, like populations tend to double over time. But um, food resources is limited. Resources for, for food, resources for space, resources for whatever is limited. So, of course, what follows from that is competition. That pe- um, people will have to struggle. There's, there's going to be what he called, if you read Darwin's book, you'll see this term in there. He calls it the struggle for existence. That um, organisms are going to struggle for existence. And if you have what it takes to survive, you will survive. If you don't have what it takes to survive, you won't survive. And that was a bright idea that Darwin got, that each island presented unique conditions for survival to each of the species, each of the colonizing um, animals, I should say. So suppose, for example, there were two finches. One went to an island that had very hard knots to crack, or maybe some, I should say. And some went to an island that had worms, a lot of worms, for example, just assuming. So if you're if you are a bird, you would need very strong beaks to be able to crack hard knots. But you need more or less pointy, slender beaks to be able to get into the ground and get worms out. So what Darwin noticed is that each environment selected over time, over a long period of time, I should say, each environment selected the specific traits that would enable each species to survive in the in each in each environment. I know this is a it's a little bit cumbersome, the conversation, the explanation I'm giving rather. But please just bear with me. If you have any question you can ask and then I'll clarify. So suppose let's just say Island A, for example. Island A was colonized by Finches A, and Island B was colonized by Finches B. So Finches A will evolve in such a way that any member of Finches A of Finches A that has um, hard beaks, for example, will have an advantage over the ones that don't have hard beaks. Because the hard beaks, the hard beaks are well suited for the kind of food that you'll find there, which are hard nuts. So over time, the members of the population that have hard beaks will become more, and the ones that have softer beaks will become, they will go extinct, they will die off. So eventually the population will be dominated by hard beaked finches. In the other island, slender beaks will be selected for. Um, the the animals that, the birds that have slender beaks will be favored more in that place. They will be more likely to survive than the ones that don't. And over time, the population will become dominated by um, animals with slender beaks. That's birds with slender beaks, I should say. So you can see that each environment selects the species that will survive based on the conditions that are there. Now, this process is called natural selection or 
um, in the fourth edition of his book, Darwin also adopted the term survival of the fittest, which has become very misinterpreted. We might get to that as well. So this process of, you know, the advantaged being selected over the ones that are disadvantaged, Darwin called it natural selection. So in other words, nature, in quotes, is selecting the organisms that will survive based on the environment that they are in. And when you accumulate all the changes over time, because it's not... Are we here? Uh, you're no longer audible. You're not... Hello? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back. Okay. So, guys, um, all right. Um, okay, I think I can hear you guys now. A little bit. Okay. So, please give me a minute. I'll be right back. I just want to pick something from my gate. Just one minute. I'll be right back. So, you guys can just... I'm still with you, but just give me a minute. Okay, okay. So, as I was saying, am I audible? Okay. Yeah, you are. Okay, this whole topic of evolution, my own um, experience with evolution. Yes, the whole, you know, we're a race Christian, um, Adam and Eve, God created heaven and earth, six days. But for some strange reasons, over the years, those two ideas have lived in my, in my, in my brain on a parallel level. They've never collided, meaning I accepted the six-day creation Adam and Eve, and I also accepted evolution. Like, those two ideologies, they lived in my brain. Somehow, they never collided. I, I never got to the point of um, intertwining, say, okay, God created the earth, then he used evolution to finish the work. I never got to that point. For some reason, my brain always switched to say, okay, evolution time, uh, creation story time. And um, when I funny part is that I didn't even come across evolution through biology, it was through geography in my SS1. And it was through the, when, what was it again? What topic? I can't remember the topic. All I remember is the geography teacher's funny pronunciation of Australopithecus Africanus. I vividly remember, remember that. That's where I came across evolution. So I think maybe that was why I was able to keep it in my in my brain on a parallel level because it wasn't biology that introduced evolution to me. It was not. It's now that as an atheist, I was able to now see that almost if evolution is a fact, there is no way Adam and Eve could have even Adam and Eve story is true. It's one or the other. Anyone who is trying to fuse both is just. Uh, suffering from a severe case of uh, cognitive dissonance, heavy one. I remember I I listened to one uh, message of uh, this something I already did, where he kind of rationalized the whole dinosaur with creation story. There's a way he told the story and fused them together. Like, what? How? How do people do this? It feels like each day is like a million years. So the whole possibility the dinosaurs came, and blah blah blah. It just made it in a, in a very. It also it also believable. But uh, because I was watching with my dad, my dad was just like, oh, this one, this one, all these fake pastors, all these fake pastors. So my dad was like, okay, it's fake. You, know, you just say it's fake. Okay, sir, it's fake. So I didn't buy into the story. But ideally, anyone who listens to that, we buy that story because the guy told it very fantastically. And that's what I've noticed since uh, I became an atheist that there are people who 
who see the evidence that okay this thing is clashing with my belief so they found a fantastic way of splicing them together fusing these two the two ideas together but one thing that well, one thing that made me not to not to do that is because uh, I can't remember where I know. Okay, Jaden, are you back? Yeah, I'm back. Sorry, I just got back. I heard that you were talking. That was like a point. So okay. I wanted you to finish. Why I didn't uh, put them together because I remember I read somewhere that the problem with incest. Why we can't make uh, why human the human race a species cannot produce with incest. Because natural selection needs variation. So if Adam and Eve actually performed incest, the humans would have died off long ago. And that was where I thought, okay, this is bullshit. It's all bullshit. So Jidon, carry on. Okay, thank you. It's all bullshit, man. <laughs> Alright, so where was I? I was talking about natural selection, right? The survival of the fittest and all that. Okay, so but now if you guys just heard the this the description i just give i know it's very it's very vague because you know there's no i can't really i don't really have my i can't do a display where i can show you you know pictorial evidence of how these things happen like a pictorial de depiction i should say because darwin himself in his book he had an illustration of how he believed it happened you know where you have a line and then three lines protruding from the edge of it which signifies a divergence you know species divergence and then other lines again diverging like that so it forms like a family tree eventually so to speak so what darwin saw was that if the mainland species of if one like one particular mainland species of finches could colonize all the five planets and evolve into different species of finches then and of course he saw this not just with finches but he saw this with barnacles he saw this with iguanas he saw this with tortoises he saw it with all, all sorts of animals and plants on those um islands in the archipelago and he just saw that if it could happen like this in this place, then it could happen like that in virtually anywhere else in the world. And then when he compared that with what he had learned from Charles Lyell's book and what he had learned from um, Thomas Malthus, that beautiful picture of evolution just formed in his mind that, hey, this thing is actually natural selection acting on variation that is produced now one huge hole in darwin's theory at the time was that darwin did not know where the variations came from he had a theory about that maybe there should be something in the cell that causes variation of course that turned out to be true because dna was later discovered but that's a topic for maybe later in the discussion so but let me just get to the main point of the whole thing so when darwin saw all this when he saw this whole process and everything he began to write down notes of course he was he was a very meticulous note taker and he was a very good writer as well and he was rich his family was very rich so he had basically everything he needed so um darwin's grandfather himself who was erasmus darwin already theorized that it's not so crazy to think that species can change over time his own grandfather way, way before him. You know, like I said earlier, many people had the idea that evolution happened. They just didn't know how it happened. What Darwin did was to explain exactly how evolution happened. So he combined the theory of Malthus um, with, you know, that's the issue of struggle for existence with um, geological change over time from um, Charles Lyell. And he got his own theory. Now, Darwin was very 
he was very hesitant to go with his theory for two to go public, I should say, with his theory for two reasons. Number one, he was hesitant because he felt he needed to be very, very sure. He felt he needed to gather a lot of evidence to be sure of his beliefs. But the second reason why he was very hesitant was because of the religious hegemony of his day. Like everybody believed in what is called the fixity of species, that species don't change. And they believe in, you know, young earth creationism that God created the world. In fact, a few years before Darwin, the popular William Paley's book, that, you know, the watchmaker analogy book, it was a very, very popular book, like very, very popular book. That's um, the William Paley book. So everybody basically believed that, you know, things like the eye, the complexity of the human body, it basically proved the design of God, even though there were refutations of that argument that even predated that particular analogy, like um, David Hume had some refutations for that, but let's not go into that for now. So Darwin himself read all those things, and then he saw that, hey, we can actually explain the design of the human body, the complexity of the human body, with this theory, even though the theory is very simple, we can still explain it with this. But, you know, Darwin wasn't very sure. He wanted to be very, very sure that there could be no organ in the body or no biological organ at all in the universe that couldn't be explained using the theory of evolution by natural selection. So he began to do experiments himself. He went to, he visited a lot of domestic um you know, places, domestic farms. He spoke with a lot of farmers, tried to understand, you know, the way they used to create different breeds of goats, of horses. You know, back then they used to call them different races, races of horses, races of cabbage, races of all sorts of animals. He spoke with all of them. He got a lot of evidence from there. Then he himself bred doves. You know, doves now, we call them Eyele in Nigeria here, in Yoruba, I should say. Um, so he he bred a lot of doves and he was able to create different pedigrees of doves based on his theory of natural selection. Of course, he was doing artificial selection because he was a human being trying to select for, you know, things like the shape of the crown of the dove or something like that. But he realized that nature was doing the exact same thing, only that nature was doing it at a much deeper level than, you know, just what humans could see. Um so he did it for that reason. He wanted to have ample evidence. He wanted to be very, very sure. But another reason, again, was that he was scared of what religious people would say. So for 20 years, Darwin kept his theory secret. However, he got a letter one day from Alfred Russell Wallace. Now, Alfred Russell Wallace himself had been inspired by Darwin and he had gone on his own voyage to go do research. Now, Darwin went to the south, to south, to South America, that's in the west. Wallace went to the east, you know, Australasia and all that in the, in the area of Malaysia and all that. There's an archipelago there as well too. So, Wallace gathered a lot of animals, you know, everything, all sorts of animals, monkeys, um, birds, all sorts of exotic animals, and he was bringing them back to Britain. But he had an unfortunate accident. There was a fire outbreak on his boat, and he lost all of his specimen. In fact, he was on the boat for 11 days without food or water. It was, so to speak, a miracle that he survived. But then when he survived, he went back to that place, and then he continued his investigation. And he also independently came to the conclusion that natural selection was true. Now, this is very important, because you know, people, everybody always says, oh, Darwin, 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 Darwin. But it wasn't just Darwin. It was Darwin and Wallace that discovered this theory independently. 
And this should point to anyone that for two scientists to discover a theory independently suggests that that theory must be very true. Now, that's just one thing. Now, when the letter got to Darwin, and then he read the letter, he was like, oh my God, someone else has discovered natural selection. I'm not going to get the credit for all my you know, decades of work on this issue. So Charles Lyell advised him to go public, to present his studies to the Royal Society. Then, which he did, and he was a very gracious man. He presented both his own study and Wallace's study alongside, so they wouldn't just credit him alone. So after he did that, he now published on the origin of species. Anybody who knows evolution, I mean, that's Darwin's magnum opus on the origin of species by natural selection and all that. So he published that book. The book was a smash hit, like the book was selling like pure water, so to speak. I think I, I read that in the first two days of publishing the book, it sold, I think, about 2,000 copies. Now, that was a big deal at the time. Like, that was very, very big. Like, they had to start reprinting the book. And I read recently that, till date, for the past 150-something years, that Darwin has written that book, because he published the book in 1859. So, we're talking about roughly 60, 162 years. That till date, for 162 years, that book has never gone out of print. Like, people are still buying the book till date. That's how powerful the book is. Um... Of course, some people say, well, people have been buying the Bible for longer. <laughs> well, the Bible is influential as well. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. So now, there were a lot of um, responses. A lot of people came out. And you guys must have seen this picture of Darwin being drawn, looking like a monkey and things like that, like an ape. And, you know, people started calling it the, the monkey theory, that Darwin is calling everybody monkeys. He's saying that we came from monkeys and all that. Now, there was a man. Thomas Huxley, who was like a was like a follower of Darwin, he was the people used to call him Darwin's bulldog. So he took the reins and began to defend the theory of evolution in public. So it was it was a very heated thing then. But the crucial thing to notice within the scientific community, within the royal community, in less than twenty years, everybody had accepted that evolution was true and evolution by natural selection. Excuse me, evolution by natural selection worked. It was accepted as a fact. Like nobody, no serious scientist doubted evolution as of 20 years after Darwin's publication of his book. So the real issue is not scientific. That's all the point I'm trying to make here. The real debate is not about whether science says evolution is true. That one is in, indisputable. Evolution is true, and we can all look at it in the science and see that it is. The real problem is the ideological implications of evolution. What does it say about us as humans? What evolution says is that we are not special. We're not created by any divine, in quotes, accidents of nature. We are all, we're not different. We're not superior to um, a slug or a snail or a plant or a worm. Like we're just, in the eyes of evolution, in the eyes of natural selection, we are all equal. We've all arrived. We've all made it up until this point. And there's no goal. There's no, there's no foresight. Like anything can evolve at any time. Nobody can really where the world is some of the implications that people you know what the bible said what they believed about the bible that uh, you know the bible said 
God created man is in his own image and things like that. Now, there were some Christians, even at that time, who saw no conflict between evolution and Christianity. They felt, you know, you can interpret the religion in a different way and things like that. You know, just it's just like this idea that Galilee, Galileo had in the 16th century, 16th or 17th century, I can't remember when they lived, which he said something like, if the facts of nature are telling you something indisputably, and then you already agree that the scriptures cannot be wrong, then nature and scripture cannot contradict. There is an interpretation of what nature says or what scripture says. So, and that was the basic idea that some people applied to evolution, saying that, well, the real problem is not in evolution or in the Bible. The real problem is in our interpretation of what we think evolution and the Bible say. So that's where the problem came from. And there were people who, who thought like that. And, um, you know, it's been an ongoing battle ever since. Now, like I said, Darwin did not know what was causing the variation in species. But thankfully, we now know what that is today. We know it's DNA, um, you know, to some extent as well, RNA, depending on the organism you're looking at, whether it's viruses or, you know, viruses especially, because the viruses are the ones that, that still use um, RNA as their major, some viruses, not all, um, like, um, for example, the HIV virus is a retrovirus, which means it uses RNA. Um, but let's not get into that for now. So, some of the things that, I mean, this, this story that I just told, the account of exactly how Darwin came to find out about evolution and all that, you know, it just shows that this thing is plain in nature. Anybody can look at nature and see evolution in action. And there are several ways that we can do that. Even for someone who doesn't know biology all that deeply, you can look into things around you and you can see that evolution is happening based on some of the basic ideas that Darwin was able to get from Charles Lyell, from Thomas Malthus, and from other sources like that. So now, I wanted to, I, I, lay, I tried to lay out this story so that we'll know the backdrop, we'll know the background of how evolution came about. The reason why I laid out all this story is because I want to ask, Hello? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Hello, hello. Yes, yes. Am I audible, please? Can you hear me? Yes, yes, man. Okay, please. I'm really sorry. My network is terrible tonight. I don't know why, but I mean, that's just Nigeria for you. So, as I was saying, the reason why, why I laid out all this, you know, backstory and um, just for us to have context is because I want to answer the question that Big asked earlier. It's not really skepticism. He talked about the issue of time. Um, everybody who studies evolution, who, I mean, Darwin, Wallace, Huxley, um, Francis Crick, um, James Watson, you know, and Francis Crick and Watson are the people who discovered Rosalind Franklin, a, a woman in the 1950s, which is impressive, by the way, of DNA and all that. And then, um, you know, several experiments were done to determine that DNA is actually what, what was called the transformation principle. That was what passed, um, you know, genetics. You know, when you combine Mendelian genetics with Darwinian evolution, what exactly was driving the variation in both theories? It, it turned out later that we found out that it was DNA. So um, there are some contingencies in there too, but that's not that's beyond the scope of this discussion. So everybody who's ever studied this subject knows that you can't get the kind of macro changes that people are expecting 
You can't get it within um, human human within the span of human life. Uh, we live for 70, 80 years, if you're lucky to live very old. Actually, the average human, originally, humans are not supposed to live originally beyond the age of 40. Um, because if you study mammals to some extent, each mammal has um, the rate of the rate of the heartbeat is usually relative to the body size. So very big mammals like whales and elephants have slower heart rates. Um, very small mammals like rats and rabbits and those ones they have very much higher heart rates. And then humans, chimpanzees, gorillas, grizzly bears, and all that is more or less like in the mid. So each mammal is supposed to roughly get gets roughly 1 billion heartbeats. Now, if you calculate 1 billion heartbeats for human beings, you get it to around between the ages of 30 and 40. So ideally, you're supposed to get thirty uh, um, 1 billion heartbeats, and then, then you drop dead. Not like drop dead automatically, but life catches up with you, and you don't live for very long. But because of human intelligence, we've been able to um, um, invent medicine, um, invent you know road safety, Invents things like you know keeping animals away from where humans live and all that. So um, we're not so we're not as subject to nature as we used to be. So we can live for much longer. But suppose you live for eighty years. Eighty years is still not enough for you to see macro changes. Some of these macro changes take a lot of time. They take a very long process for them to actually come to fruition. For them to produce the kind of um, you know. The kind of evolution that people like to see that, you know, when they say, show me where a rat changes into a monkey, something like that. It takes a very long period of time for you to see that. However, this does not mean that we don't have sufficient evidence to infer that this has happened. But that it is still happening till now. There's lots of evidence for that. Um, we've seen species change in real time, and not just species changing, but we've seen new structures develop in new species as well. Um, I, I, I don't know if, maybe I'll, I'll provide references on Twitter for anybody who wants, you can send me a DM or something, I can send you some of the references for some of these things. But we've seen a lot of changes in birds, for example, we've seen changes in, um, in barnacles, we've seen changes in rats, we've seen changes in um, Drosophila housefly, um, not housefly, sorry, fruit fly. That's a, it's a species of um, a genus, a, a genus, I should say, of um, fruit flies. We've seen these changes all over. Now we've seen some of these changes real time. I'm talking about real time morphological changes, and not just morphological changes within the species, but morphological changes that deviates, that creates an entirely new species. We've seen that in real time happen. So that's one line of evidence. Um, we've also done genetic, you know, comparison. The human genome has been mapped, as well as you know the genome of chimpanzees and all that. And we can compare, you know, place for place, um, nucleotide for nucleotide. A nucleotide is, you know, for those of us with the biology in school, you if you remember DNA, DNA has four four letters: A, T, C, and G. So each of those things is called a nucleotide, so to speak. So if you compare the sequence A, T, C, G, like that in humans and in chimpanzees, you find out that it matches to about 96%. 
that's for for humans and chimpanzees. Of course, it depends on the method you're using, but it matches to about 96 to 98 percent. If you do it for humans and gorillas, you have about 94 percent match. If you do it for humans and orangutans, you have about 90 percent match. If you do it for humans and cows, you have about 80 percent match. If you do it for humans and maybe house flies, you get about 60 percent match. If you do it for humans and a banana, for example, you get about 50% match. You find out that the closer organisms are in terms of relationship, the more similar their DNA is. And this is very intuitive because, for example, if you are, you, I mean, we've all heard scandals about paternity testing and things like that. What they do in paternity testing is to take the DNA of the child and the DNA of the father and they compare to see, okay, do they actually match? If they don't match, then they know that, okay, this man is not this child's father. He doesn't descend from this man. How, I mean, it's just like, okay, if you take the, my DNA and my brother, my younger brother's DNA, my DNA and my younger brother's DNA are going to be almost a perfect match. We're just going to have some slight differences. And those slight differences are what will account for the differences between me and my brother. For example, he's slimmer than I am. Um, he's fairer than I am at birth, I should say, because now he's very black because of Nigeria's son. Well, that's, that's all about that. Um, he, I mean, he has even behavioral differences from me. Of course, that's partly informed, that's partly um, influenced, I should say, by culture as well. But it's also to a large extent, influenced by genes. So, so these changes are very relevant, and they are all based on genes. Now, the thing is this. If you compare my DNA and my brother's own to my DNA and my cousin's own, my cousin is also going to look like me in terms of his DNA, but not as much as my brother will. Now, that's for my first cousin, I should say. If you compare for my second cousin, it's going to be even more different than for my first cousin. If you compare for my third cousin, it's going to be even more different than for my second cousin. The farther you get away from me in terms of um, blood relationship, the more different you would expect the DNA to be. And that's very intuitive because this person is more closely related to me by blood than this person. That's my brother is more closely related to me by blood than my first cousin, who is in turn closer to me than my Second cousin, who is in turn closer to me than my third cousin, like that, you know, ad infinitum. And it's the exact. Can't hear you, bro. Are you there? Get compressed, it's going to get turned into stone. The plates of the earth move. Jaden, can you hear us? We cannot hear you. Or can anybody hear myself? I think it's. I think it's net. His network went off finally. Oh. But I can hear you and. Okay. Yeah. Hello. Can I hear you? Good evening. Okay. Is it? I just want to ask: Is it only Jaden that's allowed to talk? Maybe another person can just go ahead um, with what is explaining. Or I, I well, don't, the, I don't really know how the topic he, he, he is more knowledgeable than most of us here. Most of us go F9 biology, so that's why. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even a science so, student. I just talk to other people who are a science student, though, but I, uh, I think I, I know I know a bit okay. about biology. If I wasn't moderating, I would be in the audience because there's, there's literally, I don't okay. think I'm. What about Sam? What about Sam? Ah. Uh. 
I, I don't know too much about um, biological evolution. Mm. And um, he's giving some very, very good insights. And it's insights that I really have not heard before. <laughs> I really don't think I can chip in anything at this point. I just wanted to listen. I even, while this thing was going on, I had my notes part on and I was just typing Sorry. some stuff. Okay. Sorry, um, I just wanted to know. The... Oh, welcome back. Over. Okay, sorry. I can't really sort out. I've been busy all day. I've been working. I worked till about 10 minutes before I opened the room. So I, I don't really know how to sort out my internet. Someone said, let's pray for Jadon's internet. Um, unfortunately, there's nobody to hear you. Well, I mean, you can try that if you think it will work. Okay, so, um, sorry, what was the last thing I said before I cut out? Uh, You're talking remember? about DNA. Yeah, no? yeah. You're talking about DNA. Ha, I've um, said yeah. DNA. <laughs> wait, wait, you're talking about you and your cousin. Sorry. You said, if you check your cousin, like the farther the distance, the um difference in in um what was it called now i've forgotten what, what you called it but you said to you if your brother you said you and your brother will be more identical than you and yes your now so i'm still i'm i still got it that you're talking about dna so yeah yeah, yeah she's right said, she's right the last yes, thing you said was that DNA. you and your cousin are more different mm-hmm. than you and your brother so that was the last thing you said I oh wow wonderful i've said plenty things after that one are you serious? Oh, no, no, <laughs> I think that was very okay. No, I lie. It's all fine. All right, cool. Thanks, thanks, guys. So, but what I'm just going to say is that the point with the whole analogy with me, my younger brother, my cousin, that's my first cousin, my second cousin, my third cousin, my fourth cousin, all the way down. The, the logic there is that my younger brother is closer to me genetically than my first cousin, who is closer to me genetically than my second cousin, who is closer to me genetically than my third cousin, and you can go ad infinitum. So the same logic is what you apply to species. Chimpanzees are closer to us genetically than gorillas, which are in turn closer to us genetically than orangutans, which are in turn closer to us genetically than uh, you know the New World monkeys, like the New World apes, as they're called, like um, and all that. So it's there's a, a logic. This other one based on you know genetics. A younger brother being you know genetics proving that we are siblings, and then you would also have to deny paternity tests, which you don't want to do. So I, I think that's where the genetic evidence comes in. And then we look at fossils too. We could talk about that. Let me not. I think I've spoken for way too long, so I should give other people a chance to ask questions, maybe give objections and rebuttals or whatever it is. So let me just stop here for now. Let me just let it. So John, it's like you want to say something. I'll, I'll be the main moderator for tonight. So like I said, again, let me repeat what I said for those who were not here in the beginning. Um, said in the beginning. That sounds like the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so... Um, like I said, I don't want there to be too many people on stage because then the discussion gets muddled up and nobody gains anything. So if you have a question, please send to me to the, to me to the back channel or whatever they call this thing, this DM thing. Send it to me and then just tell me what you want to ask about. Please, I want to ask about genetics. I want to ask about 
fossils. I want to ask about creationism. I want to ask about stuff like that. I want to ask about the evidence for evolution. And then I can put you up on stage. Now, if I don't put you up on stage, it might be because we've already addressed it before, or because I just think the, the question you want to ask is not so pertinent to the issue at hand. So I apologize in advance. You don't get put on stage, but it's nothing personal. Okay, so um, just send me a message in the back channel. Uh, if too many people are coming on stage, I may have to turn on uh, turn off hand raising. So let's other people go ahead and just John, you want? To- yeah, uh, I wanted to ask a question about. Um, so there is um, there is the there is the there is the how do I want to put it now? There are two things in when it comes to evolution. There is the fact that uh, species evolve over time. And the whole idea of common descent that we have uh, a common ancestry with uh, with chimpanzees and all that. So that is a fact. Now there is now the mechanism of evolution. Like how does that work? How what explains um, how all that came to be? What processes uh, does all that take? Now I noticed um, one thing, and this is this comes to this is this is unusual. Um, I usually hear this from uh, theists that accepts the that accept that evolution is a fact so they are going to say yeah uh it is true that um animals evolve and human beings even evolved and we we have a common ancestor with it and all that but the mechanism that the scientists use to explain it the uh, the natural selection mechanism that it's not enough to explain what we have today and the reason one reason that they used to give is that they will say the rate of mutation they will do a, a sort of calculation and say oh look at this rate of mutation and look and look at the probability that we are going to have if it's uh, if it's just this. So there will now be like uh, some an extra factor has to be working in place to like like keep this process going. And that is where they will they will now bring in God. So I just wanted to ask you if you see like do you see that the argument that the the rate of mutation and that um, random sorry that natural selection mechanism is not enough to drive the process? Do you see any merit in that, or are there other uh, processes that maybe they are not talking about. Thank you. Okay, that's a nice question. And it's true. Many informed theists do say this. Um, I personally, I mean, I've looked at um, the whole thing um, to the extent that I can. And quite frankly, I'm just going to say, I don't find them to be very meritorious. Because usually, you'll see that one of the things that they say that evolution cannot account for is the origin of life itself. They always talk about this, that evolution cannot account for the origin of life. Yes, it's true that evolution cannot account for the origin of life, but evolution is not um, if it's not a, it's not an issue about the origin of life. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay. So evolution is not, it doesn't try, it doesn't attempt to talk about the origin of life. Evolution only addresses the issue of the origin of species. So you don't need to bring in any ad hoc explanation to add to evolution in order to explain the origin of life. Um, That's not necessary for the conversation. That's the very first thing. Second thing I will say is that um, one of the the other things that they point to is the Cambrian explosion. They talk about the Cambrian explosion and they say that um, the Cambrian explosion happened way too fast for mutation rates and, you know, natural natural selection to account for it. So we need to add something to our hypothesis. It is true that there's a mystery, and by the way, 
The Cambrian explosion happened in the Cambrian age. The Cambrian age is a part of the Paleozoic age. The Paleozoic age is, um, is it Paleozoic or Phanerozoic? I, I, don't, I can't remember which one it is now. Um, I'm not very strong when it comes to study of fossils. I'm only just studying fossils very well. I tend to be more knowledgeable in the whole theory itself, as well as the genetic side of it. Um, but I think it's. I think it should be in the um, Paleozoic age, either the Paleozoic or the early Phanerozoic eon. That's the, that's what they call them. Though, so of course. Um, Phanerozoic simply mean new, uh, no, not new life, sorry. It means um, appearing life. When, when, sorry, appearing animal life. When animal life began to appear, that's just what the word Phanerozoic means. Phaneros in Greek means to appear. Um, and zoon or zoo means life, particularly animal life. So, um, Phanerozoic simply means animals appearing, when animals began to appear. So, they talk about the Cambrian explosion, which happened in the Cambrian age. Now, the Cambrian age took about 50 million years. And when in evolutionary terms, of course, 50 million years looks very small. But you can get a lot of diversity in 50 million years. Even though the Cambrian explosion itself took around 10 to 25 million years, estimated, you can still get a tremendous amount of diversity in that period. Now, what they usually say is that most of the body plans that we have today appeared during that period. Um, they usually talk about, um, we, I mean, there were deuterostomes before then, um, but, you know, you're talking about the basic plans for fish, for barnacles, for arthropods. I mean, there was a lot of trilobites in that period. Um, so they look at that and say, oh, evolution cannot explain this. You need to add something to that. Well, it's not true that evolution cannot explain it. Um, what the gap that is there is in, is in understanding what exactly were the conditions of the earth at that time. Don't forget that when I explained what Darwin saw, Darwin saw that it was the condition of the environment that determined what would be selected for. It was also the condition that would determine, I mean, when we discovered DNA, we knew this, that the presence of chemicals, the presence of UV radiation, the presence of um, salt and all those things can affect mutation rates. And it's actually hypothesized that at that time, there was a lot of carbon going into the oceans, going into the waters of the earth. And that, you know, drove a lot of what they call um, evolutionary pressure. Evolutionary pressure is when you have something that causes evolution to happen, either at a faster rate or at a slower rate, something that drives evolution, basically. So if you have a lot of calcium, a lot of calcium carbonates eroding into the ocean, then you have a lot of raw material for you to make things like teeth, for you to make things like horns, for you to make things like exoskeletons and things like that. And it's often theorized, and there's plausible reasons to think that this is true, that there was an erosion of calcium carbonate into the oceans at that time. And that was what drove primarily the Cambrian explosion. Um, so, of course, the explanation is not entirely, the, the, the full picture is not there. But there is nothing that tells us that we need to add some kind of God or spirit or some supernatural force for us to be able to explain what happened during the Cambrian explosion. For basically any other eon, there's no issue explaining anything with evolution. What, what's that? There's no issue for me. For, for me, it's those two things I've mostly heard, the origin of life and the Cambrian explosion. And 
in those two cases, there's really nothing. To- You're gone again. I think who have to volunteer or send you the um, network. Maybe we should send you network. <laughs> Oh, we'll pray for his internet connection, like Son of God is suggesting. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> okay. We'll look at Son of God. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. Probably we should pray then. Maybe we should pray. Uh, Big Daddy, do you want to lead us in prayer? He should. He, the Son of God should lead us in prayer now. Oh gosh, he, he was the one that gave the suggestion. So <laughs> the problem, the problem is God doesn't like you. That's why God doesn't He said. Probably because he's um he's talking about evolution and yeah, um, most things the devil's work. He's talking so probably that's the reason. That's the this is the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Work, yeah. The devil's work. We need but, to cast but, out the demon. But, it's a demon we need to cast out. Well according out. to certain Christians, God is not um God is fine with with evolution now. Uh, God we'll God used that. evolution to create us. <laughs> but those, those are just oh, I've never, I've never come across any agreement like that. So. People that really, you yeah, have yeah. So you've not heard of? No, no, no. no. That is the that's, that's oh, the official no, position of the Catholic Church. Really? Back. Uh, Semeton, oh, okay. you want to say something? I think it, no, it's not. I remember that. you said you are a doctor. Um, uh, my 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 network okay. is so terrible. I don't know what. Okay, you is after you now. You are you are doing. I'm so so. It's really frustrating me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm really, really sorry. It's just it's a very fine. bad night. It's fine. We understand. We understand it's God that is dealing with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, I don't know what, what was the last thing you guys heard, but the last thing I was talking about was the human eye. Yeah, so you ju- you ju- you just um you responded to my question and you said the only issues that you like the only type of things that you can think of is um the origin of life and the, life, the Cambrian explosion and you gave and your reasons why. Yeah, yeah sometimes they talk about the human eye too. That was what I was just saying. So let me just try to be brief so I don't waste everybody's time. Sometimes they talk about the human eye, but the simple fact is that we have not just. In ancient times, but in modern times, we can map out exactly how the human eye evolved using other extant species. Our species are alive t- till today. So there's no problem with explaining how the eyes arose. There are some other things they talk about as well. So, but I think for now, this should give you like a sketch of how I would answer such objections. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. So, does anybody have any other question? Any other? Op- I, I actually would. L- I, I don't know if I can get rebuttals or something. Please flash your mic if you want to say something. Let me see if I can put us on the queue. Okay, Semeton, Son of God, Olori. Um, Son of God came on stage first, so I'm going to let him speak. Then after Son of God, Semeton, and then Olori. So please, two minutes each. Let's go. And then Adibukola as well. Let's go. Son of God. Okay. Um, in microbiology, we are taught that um, that we we evolved from microorganisms at first. Is there a way you can explain? Because I've I've been hearing this um, term of uh, microevolution and macroevolution. I don't really know. The, do you have any knowledge about the explanation of um, how both of them differ? Okay. Um, most of the time, when you hear the terms microevolution and microevolution. First of all, microevolution has nothing to do with microbiology. Um, even though they both have the Greek word micros as prefixes, 
uh, my network is acting up again. So please, if my network is acting up, please, guys, just bear with me. Oh, can I, can um, I try to... Okay, yeah. sorry, go so, on. So like I said, micro, micro... Do you want to say something? Yeah, I wanted to say if your network is going, is um, is behaving, I think this is a question that I can answer. Okay, well, I was actually going to explain how we got macro-organisms from micro-organisms. But if you can answer it, please go ahead. Let me see if I can use the time to sort out my network. Okay, okay. All right, so, um, Son of God, there is something called speciation. Can you hear me? Yes, 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 I can. Okay, so speciation is something that we do observe today and uh the thing is that when you most times like you can you see very small changes like you see uh let me give one uh, good example so there is this um there is this moth that i think the i think the moth originally used to have a very like a shade of white that was the original color so there was the the habitats where the uh, moth used to stay uh i think there was something like um they used to, they, they started having coal deposits in that area or something like that. So the place became very dark. Now, you know, when you have that sort of dark background, uh, the, the, the moths that are white, they become very obvious to predators. So, uh, the, the moths that have a sort of mutation that makes them dark colored, they sort of blend into the environment and the environment more. So, they get more likely, they, they are less likely to be eaten by predators. So over time, that species of moths became uh, white in color. So do you, do you understand that process? What happened there? Yes, I kind of, it kind, it kind of um, brings to my memory um, this, I don't know if you've heard this story about elephants and how humans used to hunt them and cut their tusks off. And new yeah. elephants are now evolving to not even have tusks. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When they cut them off, they kill those elephants. Yeah. So ex that type of um, that oh, type sorry, of thing hold, on. hold on, okay. hold on, hold on. Sorry, let me let me quickly come in there um, okay. to correct something. I mean, just a slight correction is not very significant. She says something like, okay. "New animals are evolving to not have tusks or something like that." Now, the point is this: it's not that the animals are evolving to not have tusks. This is how natural selection happens. The thing is, in the population, there will be some some elephants that have huge tusks. There will be some that have small tusks. Now, obviously, huge tusks are more attractive to to poachers. Right? Can you please mute everyone, please? Mute your mic, um, Alamin. So, okay. Um, where was I? Yes, I was talking about tusks. So, some of the elephants in a certain population, some of them will have long tusks. Some of them will have shorter tusks, right? That's normal. But the thing is, because humans are focusing more on the ones that have longer tusks, the ones that have shorter tusks, tusks will be more likely to survive and reproduce than the ones that have longer tusks. Therefore, over time, the ones with shorter tusks will dominate the population. That's exactly how natural selection happens. So it's not like the 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 elephants are saying, "Hmm, it's like these people are targeting shorter tusks." So let's let's um let's stop let's stop. Um, Thank you so much. Growing, let's stop growing tusks. It was really it was really sorry. sorry. Let's stop growing longer. Okay, all right. So that's just the point I wanted to make. That yeah, that's how.
All right, no problem. So, son of God, like I was saying, the scenario that you described of the elephant and the moth scenario that I described are very good examples that you can use to like you can show you can use to show evidence that okay, animals do evolve. Like it is something that happens. Now, back to what you said, you were saying microevolution versus macroevolution because some people are going to say, especially um, creationists, they are going to say yes, microevolution is true. And the example, all the examples that you gave is microevolution because it is still a moth going to a moth. It's just changing its color or something. Or it's, they are still elephants. It's still an elephant. It's just that the ones with, um, shorter tusks are replacing the ones with, um, longer tusks. They even call it adaptation. They will now say, they will now call that one that we described now. They will say that that is microevolution. They will now say, but you, you are saying, uh, you are saying, uh, um, ancient apes were able to turn into human beings. Or you are saying fish were able to turn into land animals. They are not going to tell you that that is macroevolution. So they will tell you that, yeah, we accept microevolution and we see the evidence. They will say that this is how God even created animals so that they can adapt. But the one that you are saying fish can turn into a walking um, animal, that that is, that is macroevolution and we don't accept that. Now, what you just say to them are that um, at that instance is that what you the, the macro evolution and the micro evolution that you are trying to talk about the, it's not really different the only difference is just that it is it's a time factor and if you think about it this way if you have that moth that is um that gets replaced with the one with a darker uh, color and you keep having all those changes gradually, gradually, gradually. You have, you keep having the animal evolve over so many years. You have, um, there's even this, there's this thing called, um, speciation where some, a population goes to a different geographic area and they evolve, um, differently from the original population. So over time, they become very different. So if you keep having these small changes over time, over time, over time for very long, and I'm talking about like millions of years, you are going to come up with, animals that are very, very distinct from what you had originally. So that is just the difference. It's just a, it's a time factor. So when there's, when they try to say that, oh, yeah, we accept microevolution, that is adaptation, but we don't accept the macroevolution that you're talking about. The one that you're talking about is magic. Uh, that is just what is going on. So do you, I, I hope that, um, that helps what you are trying to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, um, yeah, okay. I, I was so, I previously thought that the micro, was I had more to do with micro uh, microbes? Uh, thank you for making no, no, that no. clear. Um, and what I wanted to um, I just skip my mind. Yeah, this thing is a long gone um, debate because there was a time where they were debating about um, trying to introduce they, because they wanted to stop teaching evolution in um, secondary schools, and they had to go and get evidence that that um, species actually evolved from like sea animals to land. They had to go to different continents and did a lot of digging before they were able to find transitional species of where an animal could go from they had gills and had their um, lungs to um to move from the, from the water to land and stuff like that and they found evidence for it and that's why it's been taught now in schools public schools actually oh thank you um jide is there anything i said that you would like to maybe add to or correct um, yeah, so, I mean, everything you said really made sense. Um, guys, I'm really, really sorry with my network. It's just bear with me. Um, so, I wanted to add this microevolution is true, but macroevolution is not true. 
try to ask them what they mean. How do they define microevolution? Now, this is what they will usually tell you. They will say, microevolution is, you know, change from maybe one kind of goods into another kind of goods, something like that. But macroevolution is change from one goods, like you're changing from go- from a goods into a crocodile or something like that. Now, when they say that, ask them, what do you mean by a kind of goods? Are you talking about the same species of goods or different species of goods? He's asked them that. Um, what exactly, how, do you, how exactly do you define kind? Do you define kind at species level? An animal stays within its species, then that's microevolution. But if it changes its species, then that's macroevolution, which that's actually the problem. Micro and macro. So when they push that to you, you just ask them that, and they're it's it's very difficult for them to define what exactly they mean by kind. I'm really frustrated by this network thing. I hope you guys can hear me. Yeah, we can hear you. And they they, they keep okay. changing that definition of kind to to fit their arguments yeah. every time. Yeah. So one of the things that they do is they will tell you, oh, okay, there is a dog kind, then there's cat kind, then there's crocodile kind. Then that they will say, oh, in crocodile kind you have crocodiles, you have alligators, you have caimans. In the dog kind, you have dogs, you have wolves, you have foxes, you have coyotes. In the cat kind, you have lions, you have tigers, you have lynxes, you have cougars, you have animals like that, um, leopards and stuff like that. I say, okay, that's the cat kind. So you then follow up with, okay, if you're saying that's the cat kind, then you're you trying to tell me that both the domestic cat and the lion, the lion in the jungle or in the wilderness or wherever it is that lions live, both of those animals evolved from one particular kind of cat. From one particular, like that's macroevolution. That's what you're trying to see. So in a sense, they're defining kinds at that level. is already, I mean, it, they're basically saying that, yeah, even though evolution is not universal, at least it can start from family level. Like, an old cat can produce a lion and a, a cougar, for example, or a lion and a leopard. Even though lions and leopards are completely different species, different things like that. And when you push further, I mean, this is something that we, we, I wish there was a theist online, online that we can discuss with. When you push further, you find out that what they are really getting at is a non-issue because science has a well- defined definition of of um you know macroevolution which is what john talked about earlier which is you know the change of species speciation and we have we have observed that happen several times over now about the issue of microbiology there's actually evidence of how single-celled organisms that microorganisms can change into multicellular organisms um it's all down to an evolutionary pressure against predators. That's how it's believed to have happened. And there is ample evidence for this. So I'll just stop there. Um, Jide, uh, okay, so that- sorry, there is, you know, there's this playlist of, um, there's this playlist on that. It's okay to, to be smart channel. <clears throat> 
on on the on the evolution series i was just thinking like is there a way we can maybe is there any way we can post it so everyone can check it out or something i don't know yeah that is no possible. problem if you please follow me on twitter i'm going to i once share that please i'm going to share a link that i i think it was 2019 i compiled a list of all my all the videos that i learned about evolution from on on youtube so i have a playlist of that on twitter and i'm going to repost it shortly after this discussion so that everybody can see it so that's that's 12 days of evolution series is in that playlist and anybody that wants it i can forward it to you uh, i can also send you books um you know books about evolution if you want that will explain evolution to you in a much clearer way than i possibly can so please just send me a dm on twitter So the next person should be who, who was supposed to go next? Um, right? Yeah, Semito. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, I, I personally feel that uh, evolution as a topic is a very huge and quite complex topic, as it were, because what you're trying to do is explain every living thing on the planet and. First of all, you want to know the number of living things you are dealing with. And you want to know the mechanism through which they work, what they are made up of, and all of those things. And to get those information in accurate detail is a whole lot of work. However, I just want um, to just say one or two things in addition to what uh, Jada has said in particular. And then I want to talk about evolution from an anatomical standpoint. And I'll be doing that by also showing why you know because the issue of uh, intelligent design i know most times is conflicted with religion but personally i'm from the standpoint that intelligent design whether or not there was a religion people would still think that living things were designed for some particular reasons and it's very ironical because this if you also look from the same reason you can also think in terms of evolution so i'll be talking about that in an optical standpoint but First of all, I want to mention the fact that talking about microevolution, macroevolution, evolution, whatever you want to call it, it is accumulation of changes over a long period of time. And one thing about changes is most times when things are changing, especially things that have to do with biological system, look, take growth for instance. You don't actually have a snapshot like part time that you are growing or you are increasing in size or weight except you are checking every day but if you just want to observe just from observation it is very difficult for you to know that you are maybe growing height per day it is until when you compare yourself let's say your height maybe some time maybe three months back and then you're like oh oh my god i'm taller than i used to be so it's some it's just something like that so and most times where people are like show me the evidence for evolution and you know the, the point is that it's very difficult to actually quantify the changes or you have to wait for a long period of time and he mentioned something about the lifespan of humans yeah it is very short compared to the amount of changes you want to really observe. And most of the things we can really talk about are mutations that happen, you know, within a short period of time, talking about what is being generally classified as a uh, microevolution. But then by the time you want to even extrapolate and combine these changes over time, trust me, you, you can actually infer and predict that when these changes actually accumulate at the rate they are going, things are going to really change by a landslide and that's one perspective that somebody can 
um, look at uh, what's it called? Uh, evolution art. Okay, so coming to my main point, talking about uh, um, anatomy. Now, it's very important to mention that, yeah, Judas mentioned a lot about genetics, and yes, that's a very beautiful topic. But at the time Darwin was, you know, putting his stories together, there was no much knowledge about uh, genetics, which makes his theory personal. I feel that that was the most most interesting part of his theory. I mean, without deep in depth knowledge of genetics, this guy was able to pull down something very, very huge and beautiful, and he used other form of evidence, which I even feel that yeah, without with or without the genetics, they can work. And one of the things he used was comparative anatomy. Which is very beautiful. For instance, look at embryology. For instance, the embry- at the embryonic stage, all vertebrates, all the embryos look alike. Like they have basic anatomy. So once the egg, the transpersonalize the egg, what you have is the same across all vertebrates. And it is when the now when the embryo uh, this zygote uh, becomes embryo and then it's developing into a proper fetus that the changes now really become very very obvious. And then that really mentions something that. These guys are related in some point. Okay, now that's where I'm now coming from because related doesn't necessarily mean that maybe one predates the other. It could just mean that somebody just have a template of making everything like that. And people could have still thought that way too. But that's just by, by the way too. If you look at the skeletal uh, structure also, you want to look at the bones in vertebrates generally. Talk about a dog or a human being. You know, the bones are, or even whale. Okay, whale is a mammal. Talking about mammals generally anyway. These guys have the basic anatomical uh, structure in terms of the selector system. Are the same in the arms, for instance. You have the bones, the humerus, the ulna, the radius, the carpus, and all of those things. And they are together. I mean, personally, when I started for uh, when I was taking anatomy in my year two, it was very fascinating because literally what you have in other animals is basically what you have in humans and that's one of the first things that actually struck me that maybe we're not exactly that special you have the same thing every other every other animal has. maybe apart from the brain anyways that is more developed but the basic structure is the same the same location the same function the same everything and even the, okay I, I think this particular one is very interesting because when you look at the uh when you look at the classes of vertebrates starting from fishes the uh, the yeah, these are the fishes, anyways. Then to the amphibians, all of those guys. There is a gradation, and there is a form of improvement on each one of them to suggest that one comes before the other. For instance, we look at the art found in these animals. Look from uh, when you look at fishes, for instance, they only have two chambers. Okay, and then when you come up, one we have partially divided three chambered at and then we have partially divided four chambered at then we have fully divided uh four chambered at in mama so it just obviously implies that well one like predates the other and all of those things but then one interesting thing is that the way they are arranged when you look at the human body for instance it looks so so like there is so much details in the way we are as much as we can say that the human structure is so flawed because we have some vestigia organs by the way that are not useful but are there the appendix for instance which can even be a threat to somebody's life the interesting thing is that the other part that are useful are they, are, they look designed and they, they are even want to use the word design they, they are in a way that they look like it must be someone who has a great skills that could have done this and 
could this have happened by chance? That's another question that might come up. And that's why sometimes I, I feel that uh, when most people come up with uh, intelligent design argument for me, personally, I wouldn't to evolution, by the way, even as, as when I was a taste, which was very funny anyways. So, but I, most of I don't like dismissing people that, oh, maybe you are stupid or I don't know what you're thinking about. Because, yeah, it is like that. I mean, when, when, when you're dissecting and look at the whole thing, it looks very complex and you want to ask that, does this really happen by chance? You mentioned the eye before. Yes, the eye is a very incredible, complex organ. I mean, the small thing has like a whole lot of structures and all of those things, which makes it look like designed and all of those. But there is something that has always caught my attention in all of this. And which, which always, which kind of... Sorry, Sameton, please hold on. Yeah. Please move your mic. All right, thank you. Thank you, carry on, Sameton. All right. So now, one, one of, personally, yeah, one of the things that really, really convinced me in terms of, like, I mean, personally now, because scholarly, sometimes I feel that, I mean, the biology community, no, like, no serious biology with, no serious biologists will tell you that this is a, is a, is a, like, is an unproven theory or whatever. And yeah, there's no conclusive science, really, but no, no serious biologists will tell you that this is all fake. I mean, most times these people, that do not have like knowledge on the field that are always against it anyways so but i mean there is this nerve vigorous nerve in the body and the vigorous nerve is a very important nerve and it has a lot of branches and there is this branch from it the left uh left recurrent laryngeal nerve if i'm correct i'm not so sure i think so yeah it's a recurrent nerve that is it's going straight down then it's come it comes back up again <laughs> after passing where it's supposed to go initially and interesting thing about it is this when you go to lower animals let's say fishes and uh females and all of those things now because they are they are their art is so much close to let's say their vocal area where they can make the sounds whatsoever thing or in lower animals so the vagus nerve the branch just comes directly from the vagus nerve and then innovate where it's supposed to innovate around the um What's it called now? Around the vocal cords. But what you see is that in 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 uh, in animals that are bigger and longer, let's say human being for instance, this nerve instead of it's coming to the throat, just the cartilages around your throat. Eh? Instead of it, it's coming from the brain first of all. Then it's going to pass through the neck region, and instead of this branch just going directly to innervate this cricot cartilage, whatever thing is called, it continues until it gets to the aortic arc on the arc, and then we've like returns back to innovate this place and in giraffes because giraffes are very long neck it, it is very very long and it only, only like the only sensible thing to just bring about from that point is that the only reason why it's going to be that is because it's following a particular evolutionary trend I mean, if it was designed, a, a designer would just, it's just easy to just say, okay, this guy, you are, you are going to innovate this place anyways, just go straight. Instead of you traveling downwards, you don't have any, any business going to the art region in a giraffe, for instance, that is far away from the neck region, then coming back up. But then what really happened is this, as different animals were evolving, these things maintain their position. So, but some of them have to adapt to the kind of animal it is. Okay, giraffe have long neck. So, because you have to still revolve around the aortic arc in a giraffe, you have to travel that long. And this particular name is very, very, very interesting to me. And so, uh, what I really want to bring out in all of this is that, yeah, looking from, from a, from an anatomical standpoint of view and the, the comparison between humans and animals, yeah, they, you can easily draw a conclusion that, okay, there is a gradation in changes and then we, 
probably evolve from these guys. At the same time, it looks so complex that you want, you might also want to think that, okay, maybe somebody was intentional about this. And I'm going to round up with, um, one other point, which is about the physiological state of the, of humans and why we actually evolve from other lower animals. And it is in the sense of, let's say, the, the basic biochemistry of our body, the way things work. I mean, insulin, for instance, um, insulin are getting from, uh, animals like pig, like the insulin, and then it works perfectly in humans. So it only shows that, yeah, we are not distinct. We are just a part of these guys. Okay. And look at lab rats, for instance, which are the first stage of trial for any form of, let's say, drug or things. And once these drugs is, uh, working perfectly on this, lab rat in code and you get your readings right there is you know that's when you can then pre- like pre- progress to the next stage and then bring it to human trials so it just means that the physiology of uh what's it called of animals and humans are not that far-fetched and maybe we are just cousins and we are just like together and this is very interesting because it it it, it is very try, not, try to round up so that other people can talk all right thank Cheers. you yeah so it is very weird because most of the advancements we have in, in medicine, for instance, are through the study of other lower animals, trying to test things on them and then trying to apply them in the human population. And it has worked perfectly. And I feel that that should be enough to, let's say, convince people that we are just like cousins and, uh, and all of those things. But sometimes I just feel that we can just, yeah, give them the, can just excuse them for trying to use the basic uh, in their basic intuition of a design hypothesis for all of these things. So thank you very much. Yep, that was very insightful, and you said a lot of things I really appreciate. By the way, I love the example of the left recurrent laryngeal nerve. Um, and you mentioned that in in um, in a giraffe, the neck of a giraffe is about, um, I think, about seven feet long. I'm not just sure. As the average giraffe, well, the left recurrent laryngeal nerve in giraffes is around 14 feet long. So it goes down into the throat and then it curves back up, like through the aortic arc, like you said, and then it curves back up. Now, that's for the giraffe that had a seven-foot neck. For an animal like a brachiosaur, um, if you've seen fossils of brachiosaur before, they had a 15-foot long neck. The necks were very long. So their own left recurrent laryngeal nerve was about 30 feet long, about 28 to 30 feet long. That's crazy long. And that's basically how the left recurrent laryngeal nerve is across, you know, mammalian species, you know, going down from amphibians down to reptiles and all that. And then you also mentioned the issue of uh, um, imperfections in the body. You mentioned them. vestigial organs like the appendix for example i thought that was a very good example um there's also an example that many people don't really see this as an imperfection but i see like the way i look at it if you're an engineer you wanted to design a human body you wouldn't design it this way and it's the human foot now semeton will know more about this than me so maybe he can pass a little bit of comment on this but the human foot the two feet contain um, about 25% of all the bones in the human body are in the feet alone. So the human foot, like starting from the ankle downwards, is made up of so many bones that are joined by so many ligaments. So many, you know, ligaments are like tissue 
that join one bone to the other. Is it cartilage? Is it ligament or cartilage? I, I don't really know which one. I think it's a ligament. Yeah, it's ligament. So the ligaments join all the you know the parts of the feet, all the bones in the feet together. If you and you are going to rest the entire weight of the body on the feet. If you are going to design a foot that is going to rest the the entire human body on top. You wouldn't design it with so many bones and ligaments. It's like, it's as if you put a lot of stones, you use sellotape to bind them, and then you base a tree, a small tree, so to a tree of maybe about 50 kg in weight on it. And you expect that tree to be moving around on, on you know, stones joined together with sellotape. I mean, it's a bad analogy. I'm sorry, it's not a bad analogy. It's just not a perfect analogy, but it's something like that. And Semeton might be able to correct me if I'm wrong on this. But for you to design a foot like that and base an entire body weight on it, it's very wrong. And that's why for a lot of people often get ankle twists and, you know, foot pain and different things like that happen in the human body. The same thing is true of the human lower back. The lower back is very stiff. And the reason why it's stiff is because we evolved to walk on all fours, not to stand. We didn't evolve to, like, you know, our earlier ancestors, so to speak, were tetrapods. Tetrapods are animals that walk on all fours, so to speak. So we evolved bipedalism very recently in evolutionary times, that around, I think, maybe four to three million years ago. So because of that, our lower back is stiff. It's not the back of an animal that is supposed to be walking on two legs. So after a while, maybe as, as humans advance in age, we begin to feel lower back pain. Very In some cases, it can be very serious. Um, in fact, the vertebrae eventually break. Some parts of the vertebrae will break. And then humans will have to slouch and lean forward, that kind of thing. The same thing is true of the human respiratory system. The respiratory system is connected to the esophagus and it's just separated by a small a small tissue called, um, what's the name of that tissue now? The epiglottis. I think that's the name. Senator can correct you on all this if I'm wrong. So that's what correct. it does is when you swallow, yeah, okay, when you swallow food, the epiglottis closes and then the food goes through the esophagus into the stomach. So when you breathe in, the, the epiglottis opens and then air goes into your lungs and all that. But, you know, because of the fact that the system is not always perfect, sometimes you eat and the epiglottis opens and part of the food will enter into your lungs and then you choke. The person will not be able to breathe again. That's why, you know, a lot of people choke on their food and several people die of choking every year because of this inefficient system. If you were a designer, it's it's just like you are creating two pipes and you're joining the two pipes for no reason at all. There's no reason. You don't have any reason to join the two pipes. And you're just joining them for no reason. And then it's creating a problem for people who are going to use it. So these are just some of the other examples of bad design in the body. Now, these bad designs are very difficult to explain on the issue of an an intelligent, benevolent creator. But they are very easy to explain based on evolution. Because like Semeton said earlier, evolution can't start from scratch. It has to work with what is already there. So it just proceeds blindly going for evolution doesn't it didn't know that there'll be human beings that will be walking on two legs. It didn't know that there'll be human beings that will be running on two feet. It didn't know that there will be human beings that will be eating food that will, it should be choking them. It didn't know all those things in advance. It just proceeds blindly 
going forward. And that's why some of these inefficiencies and vestigial features are right there. There are many things we could talk about, but let me just let other people talk. I think the next people, the next person to talk now should be Ulori, if I'm correct. So Ulori, please go ahead. Now, please, because of time, I'm going to time everybody. Three minutes for anyone who wants to say anything or ask a question. Once your time is up, you will see me flash my mic for you. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. And I wanted to add to that we should we should try to like make our summary very um, brief so that like we can have enough time for people to ask questions yeah. and for us to like. Yeah, very simple. Thank you. Yeah, in the meantime, please follow the Free Thinkers Hangout. Follow all the moderators. Follow the people on stage. Follow everybody, and please follow back as well, um, so that we can create a very good community for everyone. So, thank you very much. Olori, please go ahead. I would say I'll first start by saying that that is very nice of you two to say after you spent lot of time to explain yourself, and then. You now no, 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 sorry. No, sorry no, to no. interrupt. I'm, I'm, we, I'm being sarcastic. We, no, I'm not, I'm not okay, okay, I'm all right. But I'm just trying to throw a shade at you and being sarcastic at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, col- I collect it. I collect the shade. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. Right. <laughs> um, so so I, I'm going to start by saying that um, the purpose of reading is to internalize what you're reading. It's not to be lost in the book. Because if you don't, if you do that, you would not experience leaving. You experience the book. So, so what I'm trying to say is, um, I I support evolution theory, some of it, not everything, but uh, I don't want to get lost in what I'm reading <laughs> because I'm not experiencing bones and uh, and organs. <laughs> Every day, I'm experiencing humans, right? And I'm experiencing um, animals, right? And um, so, so it's it's hard to correlate this thing to what I'm experiencing, right? And I have um, some questions. Um, first of all, I got to find out that we see the birth of oceans. In fact, there's one growing now in Africa. I think in East Africa. Um, and we see the birth of new nations. But we've never seen, I think, all through human existence, right? We've been, we've been here for, for like 6 million or 4 million years, if, I, if I'm correct. But we've never witnessed this evolution. <laughs> like, we've never even, like, nature has not even tried to do one for us. Let's just even see. Like, and why did it stop? Like I'm not I'm not saying like um species did not evolve. I mean like why is the purpose now like okay we have humans, we have fish and that's it. Like there is no other thing. And we can find new animals, but there's no thing like we now see another animal turning into a human being or a fish now becoming an animal. Like we don't see that. We've never experienced it, we've never seen it before. We just and all of a sudden, nature just stopped at the point and said, "Okay, pause. Uh, we're just creating humans, and then we're just creating um, fish, and we're just creating and we're just creating this species, and that's it. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? And we've not been able to see that, but we've been able to see new oceans um, come up, right? Well, I think I wrote some of the things. Um, okay, now we're going to talk about consciousness. So when we talk about these things. The problem I have with Western education is they make it look like everything is just matter, everything is just body, like 
there's nothing else to it, right? And so, so when then they now start talking about consciousness, they get confused. So what happened with consciousness along the line? Like the consciousness split. I say, okay, humans are the only ones with reason, and then these are the only people that you know. So what happened to consciousness, right? To human consciousness, and what is consciousness? So if you're, you're going to go by that, and also I also want to ask a question is um, because I understand that. Uh, they they discover fossils by the day or by the year, depending on how they see the fossils. And these fossils can change their information and change, um, you know, everything. So if they find another fossil tomorrow, like what's going to happen that debunks this? Because I know that we're growing like every day. So there's no definite answer. It's not like, oh, this is the answer and then that's it. No. We're still learning about that thing, and we discover that the things that we even know is not what we know tomorrow. And also, there are animals that are particular. I, I don't mean like I don't mean like okay, there are fishes everywhere, right? But there are animals that are particular to a particular location. You can say it's adaptation, but when it becomes something like um, a different species entirely, that's not adaptation. When we look at the honeybill, for instance, the honeybill is only found in a part in uh, I think Malaysia or China. There are some animals that are particular, like there's, you don't find them anywhere in the world. There's no other place you can find them. What happens to those animals? Like, was it like, nature was like precise, okay, you're going to be here. And these animals are so particular. And also, let's talk about culture. What happens to culture? Every animal has a culture. From what, I've, what I know, like every animal has a culture. The wolves have a culture. The, the, um, the, the um, orcas have a culture. These people have different cultures. Monkeys have, even we have a culture. Even amongst ourselves, we have different cultures. So what happens to that, to that part of, uh, to that part of us? Um, I think um, I'm, I'm done with what I want to say. What I just want to say is I think experience is different from what you're reading, right? There, there's a lot of things um, in life that <laughs> than the brains okay, and things. No and problem. So I see, all right, cool. I see that Semeton wants to reply. I also have, I have, I mean, I wrote, I wrote down your questions, so I'm going to reply, but I'll let Semeton and I think Mr. Benjamin will also flash in his mic. So I'll give both of them three minutes each to reply. Please stick to the time. I actually let you have five minutes. So please, everyone stick to the time. And after they give, after they give their two responses, if their responses call, all right, I think it's good. I, I just wanted to try and uh, to just say uh, something to two, two things that you mentioned. First Hello. Is, okay, it's back. Okay, sorry guys, I'm back. It was my network again. So what I wanted to say is that um, I'll let Semeton and Mr. Benjamin talk. I think it's maybe I'll give you guys three minutes each. Please don't exceed your time. Um, once you see me flashing my mic, just round up. So if the both of you say what I was going to say to our questions, then I won't talk. But if you guys don't, then I'll just add to whatever you said. So, Samazon, you have three minutes. All right, thank you. So, I'm not going to answer everything. I just want to say to, uh, like, I want to answer, not, I'm not sure it's an answer anyways, but first, I want to talk about consciousness and then talking about everyday experience. Now, first of all, yeah, everyday experience might not be organs and bones and all of those things, but... One thing I just want to say today is that our everyday experience might actually not tell us everything about life. You see, throughout history, people have experienced different things. So right now, we don't even like going the part of experience again. For instance, in the past, people see rain, they attribute it to something because, well, it should be something. That was their own experience and that was their own reality. Maybe something is, you know, but then with advancement of studies, 
we've gone to we've now got to know that okay these things are processes and then you see and people we accepting it it's not like something that just happened like snappily it 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 was it it built up over time that that's the point it's just that it's something we meant and then we are kind of experience like accepting it and then we are living our life in that particular direction should studies that have not shown this thing probably still be experiencing things the way these guests experience it so i just want i'm I, i'm sure it's not like an answer directly but it's just that yeah the truth is that you might be actually experiencing bone organ i'm not saying that's what you have but since maybe your uh, the circumstances around you are about you know some other stuff you won't pay attention to these things yeah that's what i want to talk about like paying attention to these things but secondly talking about consciousness i want to say something so that why is it that humans have consciousness i i'm guessing that you're assuming that animals don't have consciousness i'm not sure we can know that do dogs have consciousness yeah well you have to be a dog to know that at least in my own little experience that you i didn't say why humans have consciousness i said why is there consciousness I know animals have consciousness. I know plants have consciousness. That's what I'm saying. I'm I saying that you. Uh, how would you know that? How would you know that the plants don't have consciousness? No, did you hear what I said? I said I know that they have consciousness. Oh, I oh, okay. Why we have consciousness? Like, why is there consciousness? That's okay, so that, that would bring me to my second question. Like, what would you define consciousness as? I think that that is very crucial, right? Because we have to define what consciousness is really all about. And I feel that as long as we can define what exactly consciousness is all about, to answer that question, why is this this? If we can answer this, and then I'm not sure we can really make progress with that particular question. So that's why I want to say to that, like, what is consciousness? Is it about feeling pain? Is it about like a whole lot of things? So I feel that if we can have Please, like a Korean, answer the question, Olori. Answer the question so that if he wants to elaborate on that. What did you say? I, I like, what exactly will you call consciousness? I don't know. You tell me you're the scientist, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the point. I said, like, for you to not see that, why is but that? You are the, but you are the one who brought up consciousness. You should be able to... Like, you said... Sorry, you said... You're confused, right? This is where all you, you all get confused. I'm coming. What I'm, Let what me... I'm trying to say is, I'm not saying that I know everything. I'm accepting that I don't know everything. You, you're the one that is assuming that you know everything. So I'm trying to ask you a question, like, what is consciousness? I'm John, okay, I please, let me, let, me, let me respond to her. John, please hold on. Let me respond to her. Olori, finish. Or is she done? Yeah, she's done. I, I wanted to tell her okay. that... You, you, She's asking us that she's asking that um why is there consciousness? So seventeen is just trying to oh, okay, okay. hold on. Yeah, exactly. So I need to I need to say some things. Olori, I am I don't want to assume you are coming into this with bad faith. But the last statement you made about we assume we know everything, that's that sounds very presumptuous. Why 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 did you make that statement? Where did you get that assumption from? Yeah, because like I'm, I'm actually asking. You accept asking, the theory what? of evolution, right? You accept the theory yes, of evolution yes. as the origin of life. That's why I think no, so. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, I clarified earlier that evolution is not about the origin of life. It's about the origin of species. So we need to clarify that. Carry on. Okay, you accept that evolution is a theory of, uh, is a theory of species, like you said. That's why I think that you assume that you know everything because I do not think that's think a very wrong assumption. There's nothing. There's nothing about. There's nothing about that assumption that says I know everything. Why? Why did you make that statement? I apologize um, if I said that. Assumed that. Okay. So now let's. Now we're past the issue of we assume we know everything and all that. Um, 
Now, you came up with an objection, I believe. You said something like, how do we explain consciousness on evolution? Now, somebody said, what is consciousness? The person is asking you to define consciousness. Now, the reason why the person is asking you to define consciousness is because you were the one who brought up consciousness. I don't think anybody here has mentioned consciousness up until this point. So if you bring up consciousness, you have to define exactly what you mean by that so that the person will know exactly how to answer your question. And that's what Semeton was asking. What's your definition of consciousness? So you should answer that question to him and then he'll be able to give you a proper response. So I'll go mute now and I'll let you answer his question on what consciousness is. I was speaking on the fact that um, the evolution of species you guys were speaking about and how evolution is the theory of species. Now, that's what I'm trying to say, that if we're basing it on that, we're not looking at the fact that these species also have their consciousness. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that I know what consciousness is because I don't think anybody knows that. So I'm, I'm looking at that. So, part okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Nobody, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm interrupting because I don't want us to waste time. Nobody, including you, knows what consciousness is. And yet, you think it's our responsibility to do that, even though you admit that nobody knows what it is. I, I'm saying that it is your responsibility since you are basing the evolution or the, the theory of species on evolution. If you're claiming... Yeah, okay, but for, for you to... Hold saying, on, hold on. Hold on, please, let me, let me clarify. I don't want us to waste time. That's what why I'm interrupting. That's what I'm saying. You yeah, that's the question. That's the question. If you, if you want to say what about this, for example, if someone brings up an objection and says, what about the complexity of the eye? We know what an eye is. We can see an eye. We can say, okay, this is how the eye is complex, and this is how we can explain it through evolution. If someone says, okay, what about um, the appendix? We can say, okay, this is the appendix, and we can know exactly how it came. We can say, okay, what about animal behavior? Okay, we can see animal behavior. We can observe it, and then we can give an answer. Now you are coming up with, okay, what about consciousness? I'm asking you, what exactly is this consciousness thing that you're talking about? That's the definition. Give us a reference for consciousness, and then we can know, okay, this is how we can account for it via evolution. That's the question that Semeton is asking. So you define consciousness, and then we'll tell you how evolution explains it. But if you say that you can't give a definition, we can't give a definition, and then you keep insisting that because we can't explain something that even you cannot define, then evolution is incomplete. I don't think that's a valuable objection to the theory. Can I mean, I'll, I'll let Semeton speak for himself. Okay, sorry, can we attach, can we attack consciousness to, to the mind? Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe I, I can. I can. I can. I can, I can help with this. For, I think you mentioned. Like, I'm not done speaking. Actually, asking me something. I was still talking. Sorry. So what I'm saying is, um, I don't think we can say this is consciousness, right? Because we don't know what it is. But if you're asking for the properties of consciousness, I would say, okay, let's look at the mind. And we know that the, the properties of the mind are not the properties of the body, which are thoughts, which are emotions. We don't see Again, you are, bringing, you are bringing a philosophical issue here because I'm going to then ask you, what do you mean by mind? What is mind? What exactly is a mind? Again, I'll, 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 I'll say that. If, I, if you say, oh, we need to explain the eye, we need to explain the tail, we need to explain the nose, we need to explain the behavior, we can see all these things. 
What do you mean by mind exactly? We can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't measure it. There is no way for us to observe it directly. Exactly. So if you if you're concluding that the theory of species are based on evolution, then that means you're also ex- excluding the fact that there's consciousness, which you cannot exclude. No, no, okay. no, no, no. Hold on, hold on. We're not excluding anything. Cannot. Hold on, hold on. I'm not. I'm not excluding anything. The point is this: if you want us to include consciousness, you have to define it. That's the point. And okay, you are you to trying to tell me you don't know what a mind is? You don't have a mind. You don't. You, I don't. I've never seen a mind. I've never seen a mind. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, calm down. This is. It's not. We're not fighting. I have never seen a mind. I have never seen my mind. I know that I think. I know that I talk. I know that I process information. Um, when we, I know we use the language of mind or anything like that. Um, we attribute minds to human beings and all that. But for us to say that the mind is a thing or is something or is whatever, you need to tell us what exactly you're talking about. What is a mind? Is the mind the brain? If the mind is the brain, we can explain the brain via evolution. If the mind is something that, if the mind, if the mind, Okay, see, see, see. Hold on, hold on. I, I, don't, I don't think you're getting my issue. If you want what us to talk about consciousness, it, this is my issue. My issue is that you're trying to bring in something into science that's not primarily a part of science. And you're trying to say that because we can't explain this issue, then science, um, when I say science, I mean evolution, then the science of evolution is incomplete. And I'm sorry, guys, for interrupting. I know it's not my turn to speak, but I'm really sorry. I just need to get this across. No, no, no. no listen, the point is this. If you want to... Wait, if sorry, you want sorry, to wait, hold, on, hold, on, hold on a second. Yeah? I think you're getting me wrong. I'm not saying that it's a myth, right? I accept that some of the theories are, are true. But what I'm saying is life is too, is too complex to box everything into, oh, this is what happened. That's what I'm trying to say. That it's too complex. We have so many things involved. And that's, that can be a part of it. Like this can be, okay, this is just a part of it, a segment of it, but not the totality of it. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. 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 Well, the, Hello, point, the point here is that, um, the point here is that, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that you're, you're saying, Okay, this is not the totality of it. Okay, all right. So what else is there to be explained? You said mind or consciousness. Okay, what is consciousness? What is mind? Define it. You refuse to define it. And then you're saying that people have to explain it. Okay. To me, that's a non-starter. I, I, I think this is a scientific forum. Adibukola, uh, your mic is tweaking or something. I don't know, uh, Jide. I don't know. Like... I want to say something. First of all, apart from what uh, Deepak is trying to say, like this is centric something. I feel that apart from definition problem, a bigger problem here is presupposition. Like she's saying that, how do you explain consciousness? It presupposes that every of the conversation we were having before has consciousness in it, and more importantly, that consciousness is a thing. I'm not saying consciousness is not a thing. I'm just saying that most importantly, is presupposing that, and she's trying to like saying that we must add consciousness to the conversation first of all i don't think it is a necessity to add consciousness to the com- uh, to the uh what's it called conversation because first of all you're being selective right of what you want no it's not it's not a matter of being selective it's, it's, okay let me can I give you can i give you sorry sorry please one else maybe maybe for the uh Olori, i don't know what you think about this but 
if you if I if you define your consciousness as self awareness, do you think that can help our conversation? So at least we know we have a definition. So if you would you say self awareness is good enough for what you are thinking about? Um, the thing is, I'm not I'm not saying I do not I, I don't want to say I know exactly what it is. That's what I'm trying to say. But I know then the properties. You, you hold on, hold on, hold on. You guys, 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 this thing is very simple. Hold on, hold on, guys. Honorary, hold on. This is what I'm going to say, and I'm the one that created this room, so I'm going to have the final say here, okay, so that we can move on to the other questions that you have. If you can't define consciousness, if you can't tell us what consciousness is, then it is useless for the purpose of this particular conversation. Let's just set it aside. Okay, 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 let's it. Hold on, no, 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 please don't interrupt me. Please don't interrupt me. Please don't interrupt me. Let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. Please hold on. Okay, good. Thank you. What I'm going to say is this. If you want us to account for some data... Adebukala, please mute your mic. Adebukala, please mute your mic for now, please. If you want us to account for some data, you have to provide the data. If you want us to account for consciousness, you have to provide what consciousness I've already given analogies about the eye or whatever thing um, you know that I explained before. If you want us to define consciousness, if you want us to, sorry, if you want us to discuss consciousness, you have to define what consciousness is. If you don't define what what consciousness is, if you keep saying you don't know what it is, but you want us to, you want to force us to, to include it in this conversation, then the conversation is over. It's a non-starter. We can't have it, and that's it. So please let's close the subject on consciousness. If you want us to talk about consciousness, we can come back again tomorrow. You and I can have a one-on-one or we can involve other people. And we can talk about consciousness. I have a lot of interesting ideas myself on consciousness and how you can have a natural basis for consciousness. But that's not the discussion for today. That's just the point I'm trying to make. And you can't come here and say, oh, because you guys can explain consciousness, then you guys are arrogant. You guys are, you guys think you know all things or whatever it is that you said earlier. So thank you very much. Mr. Benjamin, your turn. I think, wait, sorry, hold on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I think I already apologized to you on that statement and then you still bring it up to try to, I don't know, but um, all I'm going to say is, I'm sorry if I sounded rude or anything, but I didn't mean it that way. Right? Thank you. It's okay, um, Louis. Alright, my three minutes starts now. Um, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, Jadon, I want to beg for something or I beg. There, a lot of other people have ideas too, so we don't make it look like a back and forth between them. Some other persons could, you know, interject sometimes, and I, that's what I think with ideas. Sorry, please hold on. Sorry, Mister Ben, hold on, please. Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt you again. Okay. I said from the beginning of this room that I don't even know how we got so many people on stage. I didn't want more than six people on stage from the beginning because once we have too many people, everybody wants to talk, and then we don't really get. Um, forward on the whole discussion i don't really know how we got so many people on stage so please don't make it um the, the, the reason i'm saying that is don't let it seem like we are stopping other people from talking that's not the point so we already set the ground rules and everybody that was here at that time agreed to that oh, okay please carry okay. on all right um i i totally agree with everything everybody's saying here and i've learned to us from you Jayton. i've also learned from sameton you guys have a lot of information on this I only wanted to add a couple of stuff and then um, probably Uluru is not here and I would have said some stuff about the angle where she was coming from because I cannot understand where she was coming from too. It's valid, but I understand where she was coming from. I hope from. she didn't leave out of anger, Sha, because I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't intend to make her angry or upset. Uh, I just felt I she, she was, I think she did. Uh, a man of approach was somehow. Well, I, 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 that's, that's unfortunate. But carry on, please. Okay. Um, so um, I think there are a couple of things that drive 
evolution. And if we have to study evolution right to the roots of what they believe evolution is, then we should also think about chemical composition, composition of the environment, the environmental change, climatic factors, and a couple of other things that could spur organisms to react to that environment or to the, the, the place. The environment first, global environment, which would be the planet Earth where we are, had a lot of things happening within its life cycle. You know, then one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that drove existence at all of life and plants, um, animal and plants on the planet, was the um, the availability of water, surface water. You know, and I like giving one smaller, the most name example. Like if you have a parked car on sand, leave it for months. Probably the car was bad or something. Leave it for months. Come back and then fix the car, move it up. You find out that there's moss that grown on that on that sand, on that, underneath that ground. It's almost turning, you know, fertile grass. Grass is growing, life form. There's a, there's an environment ready forming underneath that place, and all it's because of tapped water, because of H2O moisture, and you know, all the stuff. So yeah, you could even trace it back to the beginning of existence. That's because of climatic changes, the availability of water, and the phases to the earth is going up. I was reading something not too long ago, about a year or two ago, about um, what happens if chemical composition on the air changes by two degrees, just two degrees. The chemicals were focusing on them in the study was oxygen. And the two degrees increase in oxygen would affect all of life forms. There will be spontaneous mutation in even humans. And those mutations are not, they're going to be permanent as long as that oxygen level remains. Because people are going to, or things are going to react to those. First of all, um, microscopic organisms will react very quickly. They, they will evolve. Humans would adapt and change to those, to, uh, to suit, you know, life with those kind of stuff. It's not too far also from, you know, every other theory of evolution that has happened. Environmental change, and it's like if we do not add this part of environmental factors to what we have so far been talking about when it comes to evolution, we would see end up in this whole circle where somebody wants to explain it further than where it's going. Fact is this: if people were born in a cave where they do not see the light, then their systems would adapt to that system. Not they call it adaptation, microevolution. But then again, over time, the source for food. This, the availability of, you know, food, the competition for the food, the all of those factors will drive a longer term, you know, evolution within specific or given life forms. You understand? And then the more they cling, you know, form societies around these groups and then retain a particular trait, the more they're going to stay or evolve with those patterns. I don't know if I'm making sense. Then they evolve with those patterns and. Basically, gives Christ to all you've been preaching, Jadon, which makes a lot of better sense to me than all I've been reading, because he just explained it better. And um, what's his name? Sameton to do a good job. Yeah, thank and you. You have to just much more, please. Stop. Just try to round up so that we can give uh, the book a chance to okay. talk. Thank you. All right, let me just stop now. Let me just stop. Okay, thanks for the agreement. Um, I still want to come back to the questions that that lady asked for the sake of people who might want answers. But um, I think Bukola was flashing at Mike, so maybe we should let her speak now. Then somebody else flashed. I think it was Adi. 
So a day can go then after a day in wa, that's after the bukola, a day in wa and tayem. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Tayem Maestro, if he has something to say. Okay, hello, good evening. So I'm not really a science person. I, I I don't really know much of science, but I know a bit of evolution. You guys have already, most of you, you've already explained evolution, but I just think I should explain, but like I should give a definition of my own understanding of evolution. You know, e- evolution is, um, it's, we can describe evolution like, um, like a family tree where you have to put each and every member of your family on. When you put each, the one that are dead, even the ones that are alive, you're going to be able to trace it back to the um, the very uh, the very people that um, bought, uh, bought them. So I think that's my very simple explanation of evolution. And evolution is a fact. It's a very it's a simple fact. I I have trouble understanding how anybody could not believe it. I should should not acknowledge it. Something I acknowledge um, since I I was able to um, get some evidence. Evidences. One of the reasons um, I traveled to Kenya was because of this evolution thing. I had to go see fossils of um, early, early men. Hello? Hello? Can, you, can anybody hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Um, the person so, who was interrupting us, Mitchell, is Mike. Okay, so I saw fossils. You know, that's enough. That alone, I mean, that alone is even enough for me. So I've not liked the fact that evolution is a fact. And, and I, like I said earlier, I, also, I don't know, you know, more to, to, to convince someone about evolution when you're not even, even a child who understand this thing is a fact. Or I don't understand how adults are having issues understanding evolution as a fact. Anyway, I think that's all I want to see. Like the, the lady the other time was actually introducing pseudoscience into um, scientific um, talk. So that was why I was having a little issue with it. So I just explained my own um, my own take on evolution. So it's just I, for the fact that I saw fossils and, and which counter the um, 6,000 years of the creation story it's even enough for me to to acknowledge the fact that evolution is is a fact. All right, thank you. Yeah. I think that's all for now. Thank you very much, Adibukola, and um, I like the fact that you kept time. So, how come? Okay, Adi. Okay, Adi is here. Okay, so Adi, please go. Okay, I'm not sure if what I have to say is very necessary since that lady is not here anymore. I just wanted to address that even if we're able to establish that evolution cannot account for consciousness, which I think, which I think um, no one actually really understands. It's like, I don't think, at least, I don't know much about evolution, but listening to like great evolutionary biologists talk about it, and there's a problem of consciousness, both in science and philosophy. So, like, even if we can't account for it, even if evolution cannot account for it, that does not debunk evolution. And that does not imply in any way that there is a conscious mind or a spiritual aspect to it. All it means is that we don't know and we don't yet know, at least. 
I, and that's why I just wanted to say to her because like she made it sound like that's like a defeat for evolution and I don't see why she thinks so. That's just what I had to say. I wish she was here to join us. That's all. Okay. Thank you very much, um, Adi. Now, she's not here, like you said, but she raised some questions. I wrote them down, some of them. So I need to address some of those things. Let me just pass brief comments. I hope to pass very, very brief comments on them. So our first question was, we've never seen evolution, even though we've seen oceans form that. So that doesn't make sense to her. Now, um, I guess the analogy, but the analogy is false because oceans don't have genes. They don't have replicating parts that can change over time. They can produce offspring. They're just bodies of water that flow from one place to the other. Um, and of course, you can see oceans form every day because that happens. Um, you can't see evolution in, in quotes because it's something that is, it happens on a very longer, on a, on a much longer time scale, as I explained earlier. That's number one. Then she said something like, why has evolution stopped happening? Why did evolution stop? The simple fact is that evolution did not stop happening. Every time a new child is born into the world, into the human race, however you put it, every time a new child is born, evolution happens. Evolution, when scientifically defined, is simply put, the change in gene frequency, in the, in the frequency, in gene frequency in the gene pool over periods of time, over a long period of time. Um, that's, of course, the so-called macroevolution, when you accumulate all the changes in the gene pool, change in the allele frequency, I should say. So as long as there is birth, as long as there's cell division, as long as there is recombination and all those things, there's going to be a change in allele frequency ever so slightly. And that change in allele frequency is a, 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 a frequency, a, a, allele frequency, I should say, is exactly what evolution is. So every time a new child is born, evolution is happening. Evolution has not stopped happening. It is still happening. It is happening even in humans. It's happening in the world. It's happening on your body, the microorganisms on your body. It's happening in coronavirus. That's why there was a time there was no Delta variant. But now there's a Delta variant because the virus is always evolving. So evolution is still happening. Now she asked the question of consciousness as well, which I think we've dealt with. Then she talked about what happens if there's new fossils that debunk evolution. Me, I would like to make a, it, it's a very, it's a huge claim. It's a grandiose claim of some sort, but I would like to hypothesize that it's the chances that a new fossil where will be discovered tomorrow that will debunk evolution are basically zero. The chances are basically zero. And that's because there have been several fossils in the past that have, purported to try to debunk evolution, you know, fossils like um, the Nebraska man or Piltdown man or things like that. And they've all been exposed as hoaxes using the theory of evolution. So uh, I don't believe that there will be such fossils. But if if such fossils come, of course, we'll revise our theory and we'll, we'll learn something better from there. Then she talks about how do we account for culture. Culture, I mean... If she thinks animals have culture in the same way that humans have culture, that's very wrong. Animals, as far as we know, don't have language, which seems very essential to culture because dialects and you know ways of life and things like that often tend to go hand in hand. 
So I don't think that's a good way to start that particular conversation. Of course, we can twist it in. We can talk about culture at a very basic level, which animals definitely have. Um, cultures are just the way society is structured and the way one member of the society interacts with other members of the society as part of a huger meta-narrative, so to speak. I mean, we can go into all the nitty-gritty like that, but it doesn't have to be something that is so difficult for evolution to explain. In fact, Darwin explained this a little bit in his book on the descent of man. So it's not a big deal. Um, so I think those are the four questions. And those are just my own take on the questions. I don't know if anybody has any other take. Yeah, Jide, she also asked the question of um, why is it that there are some animals that are very specific to certain areas? And I, I think I will just say something brief about that. I don't think you you answered that question. So Yeah, I don't remember what to write. Okay, okay. So the thing is that, of course, we like we learned before, evolution uh, happens by en- environmental pressure. So when there's environmental changes, uh, certain organisms that that maybe that come up with uh, features that make them survive in that environment, they tend to thrive, while other ones that don't have those features die out. So that is why when we have sp- very specific um, environments, there are some area, there are some environments like that that we don't have them. Uh, like we have, they are very unique environments in the world. So when you go to those environments, of course, this is also in line with the theory of evolution. You are supposed to find unique organisms there. So th- that just makes sense. And there's also this thing called, this is just an addition. There's this thing called, um, there's, I, I can't remember the name, but maybe JD can remember. When you have, you have two organisms that are like, they are, they live in, in different, um, environments in the world, but these environments are, uh, they are similar. So these organisms tend to uh, evolve similar features. So there's something, there's a way they call them. Is it analogous features? Yes, or? Um, it's called convergent evolution. Yes, convergent evolution. Thank you. So that is what you have in those um, scenarios. So uh, um, witnessing or um, noticing very uh, special animals in specific environments is not, is not something that is, um, that is against the theory of evolution. In fact, it actually makes more sense with the theory of evolution. Okay, thank you for that. Um, Alamin, you've been flashing your mic, so please go ahead. Thank you. So, um, hello. Is uh, something about what the uh, lady said that we have not seen evolution? That's simply not true. There are instances, I think, is it it a wasp or a bug in England? I think in the 1800s. Yeah. Is it still there? Alamin, we stopped hearing you. You, there are plenty types of dogs now. Dog breeders, uh, small, large. We lost you. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. Um, even with uh, dogs, dog species, most dogs uh, descended from wolves. So within a space of I think uh, uh, ten thousand years. You can see uh, dog breeders now uh, breeding different types of dogs. I think, uh, and you do, uh, in the Netherlands, they're uh, they're making new breeds. So that claim that she made that we have not seen evolution now, I think it's uh, simply untrue. So I think that's all I have to say. Unfortunately, she's not here to hear it. Too bad. Um, Jay Banj, Jay Banj has been. He told me, okay, no, no, okay, okay, I remember. So Jay Banj has a question. He sent me the question through the back back end. I don't, I don't know what they call that thing. DM channel. Back so, channel. So, and it's been so long back so you asked me that question. Sorry, I didn't <laughs> Back channel, yeah. <laughs> don't mind me. I mean, 
Okay, so the question is, I'm going to read out the question. The question is, have we been able to test dinosaurs' DNA? If yes, how? That's the first question. Number two, and please talk about the reason why birds are dinosaurs. Okay, so does anybody want to answer? I have my answers. By the way, some people might be surprised to hear that birds are dinosaurs, but it is true. Birds are dinosaurs. And humans are fish too, by the way. Ejala. <laughs> Ejalo. <laughs> so does anybody have an answer to, does anybody, can anybody explain why, if, first of all, if we have dinosaur DNA, and um, if yes, how do we have it? And if no, how? So can anybody explain that? If nobody does, I, I can give my own answer, at least in the best of my knowledge. So if you have an answer to that, please just flash your mic. Adi Bukola, you went to Kenya to to study um, fossils now. So you want to say something about this? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think we we are, I think we are supposed to have um um dinosaurs DNA. I don't, I don't even I just you know I was just I was just looking at those fossils. I was not even paying attention. I, you, know, it, you know, it was just amazing. You know, seeing those things. I was not really paying attention although i think so my own understanding though right you, like you said earlier we're from fish so i think we we have um we have um, the, the dna i wouldn't know if we should we should um relate it with um dinosaurs i don't know but fish uh, or fish i can i can say categorically that um we we have um um we are we have the dna like we can say we have dna's um of like fishes so both the dinosaurs i i'm not sure i don't know okay it's fine although they don't i don't um, i don't even think scientists have um i don't know i don't think i don't think i've ever come across any um any um uh, any explanation on scientists um telling us we are from um dinosaurs i don't think i've had access access to that yeah Okay, well, the thing is, um, I don't think we're from dinosaurs because okay. reptiles, reptiles, um, split, you know, reptile, the, one lineage of reptiles became birds. Birds yeah. technically are still reptiles anyway. Then one lineage of reptiles evolved into, I think they're proto-reptiles anyway, evolved into therapsids, and it was therapsids that evolved into mammals. So um, we we come from different languages now so the question is again have we been able to test dinosaurs dna the answer is both yes and no and the reason why it's both yes and no is because it depends on what you mean by dinosaur if by dinosaur you mean extinct dinosaurs like um like um t-rex like um brachiosaurs like um which other one again? I, I keep I forget. Is it me, is it megalodon or megalodon? Yeah, megalodon. Um, megalodon. Um, megalodon was a megalodon wasn't a dinosaur. I think it was a it was uh-huh. a shark. I think I megalodon saw. I saw that. Megalosaurus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. yeah, all those saurus like that. All those animals have Soros, Soros, Soros in their names. Because Soros basically means lizards, so ancient lizards like that. So if you mean those ones, then no, we don't have their DNA. And I will explain why we don't have their DNA. But if you mean modern living dinosaurs, a.k.a. birds, 
then yes, chicken. we have tested dinosaur chicken. DNA. So, yeah, and chickens. And I'll tell you how we know that chickens, um, turkeys, and all birds in the world today, uh, it's not just that they evolved from dinosaurs, but they are dinosaurs themselves. I'll tell you how we know that. Um, first of all, to the question of dinosaur, ancient dinosaur DNA, why don't we have that now? It's because um, DNA degrades very quickly, very rapidly over time. It's part of soft tissue. So it degrades very quickly. DNA is very unstable. Like even, even in, in normal conditions today, if you hit a cell, one of the one of the reasons why you can kill bacteria with heat is because the protein goes through something that's called denaturation. You know, the protein is it has a very uh, sorry. Um, the DNA DNA is not is not is not the DNA that gets denatured. It's protein because protein has specific folding. It has to be folded in a specific way for it to work. So, but DNA, of course, as we all know, is a double helix, and that double helix has to be coiled round and round and round into histones, which are then coiled into the nucleus of the cell and all that. So, when you heat the cell, the DNA unzips, it breaks up, and it becomes non-functional. It becomes unable to work. So, under the intense heat and pressure of you know sedimentary rocks, DNA degrades, soft tissue generally degrades, and that's why. We don't have a lot of fossils that predate 500 million years ago because most of those animals did not have skeletons or, you know, have body parts that we can use to recognize them today. So um, the soft tissue part degrades off. Now, sometimes in some very, very rare cases, we have found dinosaur soft tissue, although it didn't contain DNA because DNA had decayed away. We found a little bit of blood clots or, you know, flesh you know, clotting and all that. Um, and that's because sometimes when you have some some chemicals around, like iron three, for example, it can it can cause um, it can catalyze a reaction in which the cells clump together and they you know they just form like that kind of cast C A S T E cast, where the soft tissue can get preserved for millions of years literally. Um, so we can have that, but we don't ever get their DNA because they died long ago and their DNA would have degraded in most cases. However, for modern dinosaurs, which are birds, chickens, turkeys, pea, pea fowl, whatever birds that you have, eagles and all that, uh, we have their DNA, they've been tested, they've been cross-checked several times, and it checks out. Now, how do we know that birds are dinosaurs? First of all, I mean, birds are dinosaurs. Just take it, take it as that. Now, how do we know that birds are dinosaurs? It's from several lines of evidence that we know. One of the ways that we know is by looking at um, comparing the bones of modern birds with the bones of ancient dinosaurs. And um, there's, a, there's a bone, you know, the human collar bone. If you touch your collar, there's like a, your collar bone. There's like a small small um, space just underneath your chin where the collarbone separates. Um, Sementon is off stage. I don't know if you can add to this. But uh, in, in birds, that bone is joined together. It's called the wishbone. It's a very popular bone that uh, people, Americans, use it during Thanksgiving. When they break it and they make a wish and stuff like that. It's called the wishbone. And it is only theropods that have wishbones. Theropods like T-Rex, 
and all those things like that. All those animals. Animals in that, in the group Theropoda. So it contains T-Rexes that are extinct now. It contains Velociraptors um, that are extinct now. And they are the only ones that have that wishbone. It's very unique to that class. And all modern birds have it. So that's one clue that we used to know that birds are dinosaurs. Another clue that we used to know is the shape of their feet. Birds today have very unique feet, you know, with three toes facing forward. Um, it helps them with balancing on, you know, with bipedal movements because birds have to use their wings to fly. So they have bipedal movement. We also look at the, the bones of their fingers. Yeah, you know, um, as Senator explained earlier, all tetrapods have this formula, this radius on a, like the way you have your one one bone, two bones, then five fingers and all that. So if you look at the shape of um, if you look at the shape of their what's it called? The shape of their fingers. The shape of birds today, of their of the fingers of birds today actually matches the same shape that we have with T Rex. The longer finger. The the index finger is usually the longer one, I think, for that particular class. And it's the same, it's something that they also share bones that you compare. Hello. Jaden, okay, you broke up for a minute. So, so, yeah. so to go even further, um, we actually have direct fossils of dinosaurs that have feathers. Feathers like real feathers. Um, we have one of the, the most fo- the most famous one is Archaeopteryx. Archaeopteryx was a fossil from, I think, from China. That's where it was discovered. And it was a dinosaur. It had, it had teeth. It had legs like the T-Rex. It was like it was... Nobody argued. Nobody, everybody knew it was a dinosaur. But it had feathers, just like the birds that we have today. So everybody saw. You know, when you look in the movies, you see Velociraptors, you see T-Rex looking all scaly and all big and all that. But many scientists have actually argued that many of these dinosaurs actually had feathers. And Archaeopteryx is not the only species that we have. We have several species of feathered dinosaurs. I can't mention their names now. But if you if you just just do a Google search, you will see um, that ancient dinosaurs, many of them had feathers. There's a video on this. I'm going to send, I'm going to post that video as well on my um, my Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, you're going to see it on my wall there. So there's just a lot of evidence to show that birds are dinosaurs from the shape of their feet to the way they walk, everything matches exactly what we would expect from dinosaurs. Even biogeography points in that direction. So um, that's how we know that birds are dinosaurs. It's not just that birds evolved from dinosaurs, it's that birds themselves are dinosaurs. Just like humans did not evolve from apes, humans themselves are apes. And that's why I said earlier that humans did not just evolve from fish, humans themselves are fish. And how we know that is because during the embryonic stage, humans have um, gill slits, like something that looks like the kind of gill slits that you see in modern animals, in modern fish, I, I, I should say. Humans have that as well. So that's how we know that humans are not just apes, but also fish <laughs> in that sense. Like we are all in the same category in that sense. 
So I hope this answers your question, Jim. And if it does, please just flash your mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too. Um, yeah. I also want to like add another question. All right um, then, I'll take that. Yes. So, yeah. But, is there any other okay. question? Does anybody have something to say? From if if you have a question on evolution or anything like that, or you have a contribution, or you have an objection, please signify so that we can bring you up to the stage and you can say something. We'll be rounding up by eleven p.m. And thank you all for hanging around. Please follow the free thinkers and out. Follow the moderators. Follow everyone. Okay, can I go on now? Yeah, please do. Since no one is um is requesting okay. to come, just go on, please. Sure. Um. So a quick question on the birds uh, as dinosaurs. I understand that birds right now have hollow bones and. I think that is why they can't fly. I also want to get clarification if dinosaurs also had hollow bones. That's one. Secondly is, um, I heard the statement somewhere. I can't really place where I heard the statement, but I heard that we can observe microevolution under a microscope. I'm not very science inclined, so I would really want to know if this is true. And if yes, what do they mean by we can observe microevolution under a microscope? Sorry, I didn't catch that question. Can I repeat? Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I asked two questions. The first one was uh, modern birds right now, they have hollow bones. And I would also like to know if dinosaurs also had hollow bones. That's one. Secondly, um, I heard somewhere, I can't remember where I heard uh, this, but I heard that we can observe microevolution under a microscope. And um, I really want to understand what they mean by on um, observing um, microevolution under a microscope. Uh, is it the G DNA or what exactly do they observe? Like um, someone mentioned, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but they said something like we can see evolution happening, microevolution happening right now under a microscope. So I just want clarification on that. Thanks. Um, yeah. So to your first question, the answer is yes. Dinosaurs also had hollow bones. Um, especially Velociraptors and um, T-Rexes and like that. Even though their bones were very massive for the big ones, a lot of them had hollow bones. Um, so that's also one way that we know that modern birds are dinosaurs. Um, because like every property that dinosaurs had, birds had them. So it's a perfect match in a sense. So to your second question, that we, can we see microevolution happening? Yes, definitely we can see microevolution happening. Um, that's, for example, that's one way that's one way in which, um, how do I put it now? That's one way in which something like coronavirus changes. Um, you know, when coronavirus came out in 2019, everyone was talking about, oh, okay, there's coronavirus, there's coronavirus. Then all of a sudden, 2021, we started talking about, oh, there's a Delta variant, there's a Delta variant, there's a Delta variant. Now, before, we were not talking about the Delta variant, but now we are talking about the Delta variant. Why do we see that kind of change? The reason is because the virus has evolved. So what happened is that when, you, when the virus goes from one human to the other, from one human to the other, it keeps changing its DNA. It keeps mutating. Viruses have one of the fastest mutation rates. I think they have the fastest mutation rate of any organism. I mean... Whether a virus is an organism depends on who you ask. 
many some scientists don't think that viruses are alive something that they are so it depends whom you are talking to um so but essentially the point i'm trying to make here is that we can i mean we can see that i'm using covid because it's a general example we actually have in lab experiments in fact there's one that is still ongoing now it's been ongoing for about 30 years or so it started from just one pair sorry one just one particular microorganism just one particular microorganism alone and they have used just that one microorganism to create different species of microorganisms with different properties growing in different um agar mediums if you if you are into microbiology you know what agar is nutrient agar um and all those things so um the point I'm trying to make is that there's an experiment. In fact, it's still ongoing. I'm going to share a link to that experiment with you. Someone shared it with me on Twitter, and I think I still have it. So I'll be able to share it to anyone who asks so that we can um, have the evidence. We can see it for ourselves. So, yes, macroevolution can be directly observed. When people say that macroevolution cannot be observed, what they usually mean is, you know, like John explained earlier about something when you have a rat changing into a goat or a crocodile changing into a lion or something like that. And um, that's a misconception because, first of all, modern modern animals don't change into other modern animals. Um, when we say that humans and chimpanzees are related, we are not saying that chimpanzees change into humans or humans change into chimpanzees. We are saying that both humans and chimpanzees had a common ancestor in the same way that both me and my cousin have the same grandfather. That's how it is. Um, so I, I hope that answers the question. So um, somebody asked a question in the chat, and I think I should bring that question in public. So the, question, the person asked, so can we say that dinosaurs evolved from fish too? And I answered, yes. Dinosaurs evolved from fish. In fact, all land, all land tetrapods, and when I say tetrapods, I mean amphibians, reptiles, birds, mammals, animals with four legs that walk on all fours. So can we say that dinosaurs evolved from fish too? The answer is yes. I said yes. So the, the person said, all right, then that means all vertebrates are fishes. Well, I would say yes and no. Yes, in the sense that, like I said before, Birds aren't just evolved from dinosaurs. They are dinosaurs themselves, and they will always be dinosaurs. Humans didn't just evolve from apes. Humans are apes because we have the characteristics that um, are classified in that group. In the same vein, humans are fish because during the embryonic stage of development, of human development, we pass through a stage where we are fundamentally indistinguishable from the from the young of a fish as well. And this is true for every tetrapod. The reason why it's that way is because all tetrapods evolved from fish. Now, when I say that humans are fish or that dinosaurs are fish, I'm not saying that they can go inside the water and be swimming around like fish. Of course, you will drown because you have evolved away from the ability to live in water. You are now a a land-dwelling animal. So we're not um, fish in the sense that we can go and live in the water and be swimming around in the water like a mermaid or something. But we are fish in the sense that anatomically, embryologically, during the stages of our development, we show signs 
of you know we show, we show evidence of um of having passed through the same stage that fish pass through which is you know a stage where you have um pharyngeal slits and all those things so it, it's in that sense that humans and, and all other tetrapods including dinosaurs are fish okay so i think um the person who has the question is coming on stage now that's daniel okay um good evening um i just want to yeah i just i just want to make a point um the last speaker um um said something along the lines of um what i would call the um recapitulation theory where they say um ontogeny recap recapitulate phylogeny where the embryonic development of an organism is a throwback to its um evolutionary origins well that theory is not really um a very strong um point as regards evolution that yes human beings um developed um and the embryonic development of humans um has the gills and the pharyngeal pouches and all those things that fishes have yes it's similar but it doesn't apply in every organism it's not really a very strong point that just um what i just want to add thank you yeah that's a that's a fair point that's a fair point um of course when when you give a line of evidence in evolution you are not giving a proof you're not saying oh look ontogeny implying phylogeny that is proof that evolution is true you can't even question it at all that's completely beyond the point the point is that when you see something like this it points in this direction it's it's um how, how do i put it now it's evidence it gives some support it might not be very strong support it might not be absolute support it's not the kind of support that you get from something like dna for example or proteins um or even fossils you get but it's still somehow related it's still somehow relatable now it doesn't mean that okay for a, for a human to become a human that means he has to pass through the stage of single cell to the terosome stage and must pass through the stage of planaria pass through the stage of arthropod and pass through the stage of fish and pass through the stage of amphibian then pass through the stage of reptile before it now enters the stage of mammal before it now enters the stage of ape before it now enters the stage of human i'm not saying that that's how that's how embryonic development happens that you pass through all the stages I'm only saying that there is a certain there is a certain group that we evolved from which is fish that all tetrapods all tetrapods go through this particular stage in their life's history in their developmental history and the fact that they go through that particular stage in their developmental just that one stage that I'm talking about now the fact that they go through that particular stage in their developmental history points to the fact that there was a time when they all shared this history that's just the point about that and when i say when when i'm talking about the history i'm talking about the stage of you know having pharyngeal slits and all that it's not like the slits are exactly what you find in modern looped finned fish or something like that it's not like that it's not like all all tetrapods look like looped finned um looped finned fish or something but there are some very striking similarities and i i urge everyone to go and look it up if you look at the embryonic development and all that you can see all this in there 
So this was it was it was actually something that Darwin himself considered to be strong strong support. Maybe not too strong, but it was some support for the fact that evolution is true. Okay. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you very much. So we're supposed to round up by 11 p.m. and it's already 11 p.m. So let me see if let me just see if I can allow one or two more people to talk if they have anything to say, and then we can close out. I think this has been very fun. So Jay Banj wants to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask another question. Of course, it's not possible to ask all the questions about evolution, especially for me that's interested in science a lot and but I have no science backing. Um, but the question I want to ask might take a long time to answer, but if there's a short response to it, I would appreciate it. So the question is, um, there's this concept of irreducible complexity. How were we able to get past that point, you know, in the debates of, okay, um, there are some things, there are some, comp- so there are some components of organisms that um, when you remove one part of it, the whole, um, the whole part of that organism seems to function. Example, the eye, if you remove any part of the eye, it seems it ceases to function. So how was evolution able to um, transmit the ordinary sensory, sensing of you know, light rays and convert it into an eye? So um, that's just the question, yeah. Okay. This is a very common um, question, uh, and it stems primarily from a concept in in um, you know counter evolutionary arguments called irreducible complexity. Now, irreducible complexity is basically the idea that there are certain organs or features of living organisms that. Those, or, those organs or systems or features, whatever you want to call it, they have plenty parts. They have many parts. And that all of the parts have to be there at once for the system to function. If you remove even one of them, then the entire system breaks down. It won't work. Now, because evolution says systems only get built up gradually, then that should pose a problem for evolution because if the organism didn't have it all together from the beginning, it won't be able to evolve at all to that stage. So there's a problem here. And that's what the irreducible complexity argument tries to point out. Now, the real problem, I mean, if you even listen to anybody who is very, very strong in logic, if you listen to what the account I just gave, you would have spotted the illogic in the whole account. And the illogic basically comes down to the point to one key assumption in the irreducible complexity argument. And that assumption is that every organism started with that so-called irreducible complex, irreducibly complex system. For example, humans have to have the human eye right from the start, like the human eye the way it is, right from the start, or the human eye will not work. But then nobody ever claimed that there were humans from 3.7 billion years ago when we believe that life, excuse me, when we believe that life kicked off on the planet. 
Nobody believes that there were humans back then. Humans are very recent. So between that time and the time that humans developed, there would have been a lot of time for evolution to play, to play around and develop the human eye. But the thing is that the people who even make the irreducible complexity arguments don't even use the human eye because it's very easy to explain how the human eye developed over time. But they use something like the bacterial flagellum or the system of blood clotting. Now, the bacterial flagellum is a very common one. It's the one that was used by Michael Behe, who is a biochemist. Now, anybody who knows this um, whole subject well will know that name. It's a very common name in the counter-evolution circle. So, Michael Behe came up with, um, you know, some, so to speak, studies. And it, it was showing that, it was, it was claiming that the bacterial flagellum works like a motor. It works like a rotor, like it has a rotor system. It works like a machine, like a modern-day machine. That if you remove even one part of the entire thing, the whole flagellum system cannot work. It breaks down. So that entire flagellum system has to be there right from the scratch, or the organism will not have it. In other words, evolution cannot account for that. But Behe made the mistake of assuming that there could not be any intermediate between the complete flagellum and the origin of life. And that was what scientists pointed out to him, that, guy, you are actually wrong, because we have modern examples of several bacterial species that have the intermediates between, um, between you know, the origin of life and this complex flagellum that you are pointing to. Let me use this analogy. For example, he, and it was the same analogy that Michael B used. If you have a mouse trap, you know the mouse trap has the it has the plastic, the wooden part at the bottom. It has the spring. It has everything. Now, if you remove even one part of the mouse of the mouse trap, it won't function for catching mice anymore. So B was now saying the fact that you have to preserve everything means that you can't just evolve a mousetrap all of a sudden. It has to have been created there right from the beginning by some intelligence or something. But what scientists now pointed out is that actually you don't need to have a fully functional mousetrap for you to have a fully functional organism. You can have intermediate steps. You can have a mousetrap that, for example, you can use the mousetrap as something that you use to hold clothes on the line or that you can use as a tight lip. Of course, it will look like a lousy tight lip. clip of the mousetrap. Yeah, exactly. It will look like a mousy, like a lousy mouse, like, sorry, like a lousy tight lip. But it will work. It will hold the tie in place. So evolution will not work with a complete mousetrap. It will first start from the base. It will be using that base for, for something until there's a mutation that produces something on top of it. And then evolutionary pressure will drive, that thing becomes relevant, it gets kept, and then something else is added, and then something else is added over millions or even billions of years until you get a complete mousetrap or bacterial flagellum that you have. And scientists were able to show this convincingly, even in the law court, and they disproved the theory of irreducible complexity. So, I know, I know you said you wanted my answer to be short. I'm sorry it's not short, <laughs> but the point I'm just trying to make here is that this so-called irreducibly complex systems are not actually irreducibly complex. You can remove parts of them 
and you will still have an organism that can survive and reproduce because the new parts, the the primitive parts, were functioning for something else. Improving on those parts will create greater functions, greater things that you can do, of course. But you don't need the complete set, the complete system for the organism to survive and reproduce. And that's what scientists have shown over time. Okay, thanks for that. That's that explanation already works. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. So one more person, and then we can close out. Does anybody in the audience wants to say something? Um, okay, Daniel has said something before. Yusuf has been around for a while. Nishida has been around for a while. I don't know if they may have something to say, but okay. Nobody has anything to say, I'm assuming. All right, so we can close out there. So I want to say thank you to everyone who contributed. Um, John, Ranting 80s, Adebukola, Jebanj, Ade, Semeton, Benjamin, um, Oluri, um, who else? There were a lot of people, I've forgotten names. Um, but I appreciate everyone for coming around and for having this discussion. And I hope that this discussion has helped to clarify some perspective on the subject of biological evolution for people who might have some questions about it. So that was just my aim. I just wanted to explain things and also have people ask questions and all that. So once again, I'm going to share on my Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, I'll reshare that link to all the sources that I was able to get on evolution then. If you want the books, you can send me a DM. I can send the books to you so you can read them and learn more about the subject. Um, also, please follow the Free Thinkers Hangout, follow the moderators, follow everyone on stage. Um, there is the back channel now. You can send people messages and all that. So please drop us a message and um, we'll be very apt to reply. So once again, thank you all for coming tonight. In the absence of further things to say, um, I hereby declare the room closed unless my moderators have anything to say. John and Ranting Thank you very much. Yeah, we're fine. All right. So once again, thank you all very much. Um, if you have topic um, suggestions for the Free Thinker Langal, please you can message the members of the group and let's just have fun. So once again, thank, thank you. you all very much. Have a lovely night. Wow. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for getting to this point. I know it hasn't it wasn't easy getting to this point. It was a very long conversation, but I believe it was worth it for you. So please join the Free Thinkers Hangout. If you are not on Clubhouse, please join. Android users can now use Clubhouse. It is not only for iOS users. Then please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other place you get your podcast. And I will catch you on the next one. Have a wonderful week.